What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I am Ace. This is RB3. And this is the podcast where we get into the deeper meaning of your favorite film director's films. And this episode is a good one because guess what? The biggest movie this year and the biggest movie in a while was The Last Jedi. And that was directed by a filmmaker known as Ryan Johnson. So we're going to be going through all the Ryan Johnson films with with um, Last Jedi, Brick, yeah. Brothers Bloom, and Looper. So there's not too many films to dive into. We're going to start in order of the release date. So if you want to see The Last Jedi review, we're going to get to that eventually. But unfortunately, that's going to be at the end of the show. We're also going to talk about spoilers and different things that we felt spoiler, about the movie. Very spoiler heavy. It's yeah. going to be spoiler heavy. And we're definitely going to be giving our honest opinions. Because yeah. that's what we're all about here. We're all about Unfiltered. honesty. Unfiltered honesty. Truth. Love. Well... Mostly love. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, definitely stick around for that as well. But um, before we do, we always like reading your guys' comments from previous episodes. And our previous episode was baller, because guess what? Everyone listened to that episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great ratings. Oh, uh, man. Alexander Payne. I see see you guys, all the Alexander Payne fans out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We know know who the uh, the real film film fans are. Real film fans are. Cinephiles, you know. (laughs) Pretty much didn't do well, guys, but it's okay because we like Alexander Payne. We still feel like it's a good decision to do an episode on him and to shine a light on different directors. So we want to be reading your comments from the previous episode. And let's start with Movie Ace. Uh, Great name. He says, Payne has so many underrated films. Nebraska, The Descendants, Election, Sideways. But my absolute favorite is about Schmidt. That ending always touches me and I can see myself in Nicholson's character. I'm very afraid of living the life um, of living the life he does and thinking about how meaningless my life has been seeing back, seeing back on it. And I'm just 27. I've also worked at an, at an insurance company. So it's always cool to see like people relate to a film on a personal level. Oh like, yeah, what, what, like little aspects, whether it be big aspects, because obviously Movie Ace doesn't relate to him on an age, age level, level. Yeah, but on a like employee level, he can kind of relate to that too. So. Yeah, and then plus just the whole idea of finding meaning through people. You know, we kind of mentioned it last week. Find, you know, with um, about Schmidt, that ending is all about you know that one little thing that you 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 know you contribute to that you help that one person that you help writing back to you. That's the most powerful thing, and man. Every time like that ending comes on, it's like just hits you right in the heart. Yeah, so. and I, I like I like and I mentioned this already, but I like being able to identify yourself in someone that you don't think you might be able to. Like right. the perfect example for me that I always go back to is Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Like going into Lady Bird, man, I was like, sure, teenage girl, sure. Yeah. But coming out, I was like, damn, that's I have a lot of similarities Dude, to her yeah. when I have grown up, and it's one of those things I did not expect. So that's a good thing. Especially a movie like Lady Bird, I think like both men and women connect to that movie just like equally the same. You know? And you find you find little little moments and little things that you can connect to, mm. right? And I, I found a lot of moments in Lady Bird, but. That's always cool. Um, let's jump over to Schmoville. Also, guys, I post on Schmoville if you guys want to join that page. Facebook. Um, James Golding says, Nebraska. Um, I'm asking what's his favorite, you know, Alexander Payne film. Yeah. Um, he said, Nebraska. Um, but with those sweeping shots of the countryside, I'm not sure they were done justice being shot black and white. Mm. Mm. That's a good point. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Because you like it being shot black and white. Yeah, I think the whole black and white nature adds to like the the sharpness of it. You know, what I mean the mm-hmm. the contrast of like I- ideas between you know the family members and and like particularly with the son and the father. You know, the the father has a uh, played by Bruce Dern has a very different outlook on life than uh, say his son does. You know, it's very very d- different generational kind of millennial kind of kind of dude. So I thought it was really funny. Um, 
having it black and white to set that compare and contrast. And plus, I just don't think we have enough black and white movies. Sure. You know what I mean? So like, I, I told you last time when we were talking about it, I said it, it's such a bold decision to make it black and white because mm-hmm. you, you already alienate like half of an audience. Oh, in, my, yeah. in my opinion, because watching a trailer that's in black and white, I can't lie, part of me is like, I kind of don't want to see that <laughs> just because it's in black <laughs> and white. Because <laughs> it's a very bold decision to do that. And yeah, it's funny because most of the time, Nebraska was pretty applauded for being black and white. But here, James saying it might have been a mistake could have been yeah. could have been better to do a like a you know a cool cinematography kind of yeah. view with the color and with the that. color yeah. yeah um but you know i mean i don't know if what was brokeback mountains that was that set in nebraska Ooh, no? i don't no, know i don't know but they had like some really nice sweeping shots too but like that was the use of color sure and that you know but i don't know that was probably sound like montana or something so yeah. <laughs> probably, you're probably way off <laughs> yeah yeah um we also have a comment from uh paul oyama who says his favorite is Sideways is probably my personal favorite, but I absolutely love Citizen Ruth, and I recently studied it in film school. Ooh, Ooh interesting. Yeah, because yeah. you go to film school. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Citizen Ruth is definitely something you could take a look at. Sideways though is incredible. I didn't know this until um, Mark Riley tweeted this, but apparently that was one of his top five movies of all really? time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sideways. So, and did I, he randomly tweet that or? Uh, I think it was like randomly. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if you if you listen to our show. Okay. I was gonna say, <laughs> Yo, Riley's just, no. He's, pro- he's probably not. <laughs> yeah yeah but um but no it is yeah i mean it's a great it's a great movie and, yeah and you know we kind of broke it down last week just the way it handles his characters sure it feels real so sure yeah, yeah. Um, um let's read roof is great too uh one more brady uh brady warren says election easily it's in my top 10 favorite of all time i'm gonna check out the podcast later by the way cool man <laughs> Um, check it out. Hope you. Uh, I hope you're one of the 200 people. <laughs> that got around the hey man, we got them views, man. <laughs> we got them views. Um, yeah, election is another one that we probably agree that it's probably our favorite. I think. Yeah, it's one. Yeah, it's definitely it, between sideways and, and election to me. To me, it was between yeah. descendants and election. Yeah. But election is always up there. It's probably my favorite Alexander Payne film. Yeah, and and it's so you know it's. Like we said last week, is made by MTV, so it's a little more accessible than all of his movies. You know, they give you the voiceover, they give you the the title cards and all that stuff, so it's a little easier to grasp. But yeah, absolutely. And always, guys, make sure to leave us comments on Schmoville or on the YouTube channel. Again, we will be reading them just like we did now. And now we're gonna jump into Mr. Ryan Johnson, Uh-oh. all his films, and we're gonna start with his first film, which is Brick, mm-hmm. which came out in 2005. And I can't lie, I you've seen this movie before. I've seen this movie. Um, this was kind of like an indie slash, like an indie darling type movie where it was like it kind of did well in the indie circuit mm-hmm. as far as getting some attention. Right. Um, it won the uh, special jury prize at Sundance mm-hmm. when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, $450,000 budget, right? Four hundred. Yeah, $450,000. I, I didn't know that. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, so it was very, it was like, it was it's like really indie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it didn't make a lot, but it, it definitely made a smash like around mm-hmm. like the small like circles that that it became in. I've seen if you see the poster, it has a quote by um, Peter Travers, um, who says something like "It'll keep you in, in the edge of your seat" or something like mm-hmm. that. But the fact that Peter Travers reviewed it, I mean, good on them because mm-hmm. um, he's a very well-known critic from the Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been keeping up with Peter Travers for years. Um, but basically, this is Ryan Johnson's Ryan Johnson's first film. It stars obviously JGL. And I can't lie, man, I, I told you, because I've seen Looper, and I've seen Looper before I've seen Brick, so mm-hmm. I expect the grittiness of Looper and the kind of seriousness of, of Looper. So going into Brick, I was like, I'm going to get that with this movie. As soon as the movie starts out, it's hyper real. Because it, 
JGL is talking to some people, and it, that's not how people talk. Yeah. <laughs> they talk so fast. Hey, man, you dealing with that? Yeah, yeah, he's dealing with the girl. Oh, all right, with the girl. What is he going to do with it tonight? Oh, I don't know, man. Oh, where's Emily at? I don't know. Where do you think Emily's at? I don't know. What do you think she's at? And it's like, what? What is going on? Right, right, right. <laughs> They're all talking hyper fast, and it's hyper real, and it's it's a little bit more over the top than I thought it would be. Yeah. It's very over the top, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I expected Ryan Johnson to be like a serious, gritty filmmaker, kind of like uh, Looper's a little gritty. And that is not this movie at all, man. It's not. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that that's an interesting. It's a very. Uh, Brian Johnson is a much more stylized director than I thought he was. Right. You kind of mentioned it before before going on camera that he's a, he kind of has that Edgar Wright as far as like stylized mm-hmm. type of you know right. um, films that he has. But right. Brick 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 is a still a like you said it's a really good movie and it got a lot of attention. What are your general impressions on this movie? Well, Brick is you know I, and I mentioned this to you before and w- along with some Irish most people behind the scenes. Um, Brick is one of my favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. right? And all of this and it, we're gonna get to Looper too. That's one that's up there too. But um, the reason being is I've expressed this on this podcast before. Noir is my favorite genre mm. of film. Um, you know, so this movie is very clearly emulating um, the noir, and not even like neo noir. It's just straight up something 1940s dialogue, 1940s like the way it's constructed structurally. It it, it takes a lot from movies like The Maltese Falcon, Double Identity, um, Double Indemnity, with the Fame Fatale, the bosses, you know, the crime lords. The but it just puts it in a high school setting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really fascinating about it. Um, it gives you all of the elements and the tropes and the story points of a noir movie but takes you know elements like the like a, a assistant vice principal that would normally be like the chief of police or something or the um or the the handicapped dr- the handicapped uh like over like overage dude just things yeah. in high school dealing drugs he's like the main crime boss he's the pen you know and, yeah and uh and it does and it and, but it takes itself so seriously that it really works sure um even when they're like eating cookies or like you know spoon and cereal or whatever it still feels like a real um crime thriller and that's what really elevates the material because you really come on the edge of your seat um and watching this movie so i I love this movie man this is and joseph gordon levitt this is one of his first breakouts yeah um after hollywood um halloween uh h2o yeah he did that then he did he did this well uh, i mean he's he was in yeah, he was in, he was in uh, some other things too like what's the in things TV I hate show, about you the tv show too oh yeah yeah um, but yeah he wasn't he wasn't a big name though he wasn't yeah no, he, but this was one that kind of put him more on the indie scene and first collaboration with ryan johnson he, he's appeared in all of his first films. of many yeah 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 so um and he, even when joseph gordon levitt did his uh directorial debut um, and Don John, mm-hmm. he got a uh, Nathan Johnson, Ryan Johnson's cousin, to do the score for for that that movie. Um, and speaking of the score, Nathan Johnson composed this, and the score really helps elevate why and what genre is playing in because it uses like the saxophone, the pianos, the slow instrumentals to really build the heightened realism that you're talking about of like the noir genre sure um so even though it's like low budget and it you know it looks a little low budget it does but at that, times yeah but it you but that's part of it like sure. i think that's part of the charm that's part of the appeal sure and especially part of the noir feel because frankly when noirs are being made in 1930s and 40s and 50s they were kind of seen as like the low budget like as we would consider like indies now sure in a way that like studios just kind of throw like you know like the the, the the tax returns at it you know what i mean just to just to make make something off of it turn turn a profit like cheaper gangster films basically yeah um 
but this movie um, uses those elements and it takes visual elements, of course, from like Westerns and, um, you know, one of your favorites, Cowboy Bebop, right? You know, it, the main character is influenced by that. Sure. So I, I, all of this stuff, it just leads me to having a really great time with this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned the, the kind of low budget feel it has of it. Do you know where this was shot, by the way? Um, I'm not. It's, it was shot in Ryan Johnson's hometown. Um, and the high school was like his actual high school. Got it. But I'm not exactly sure. Sure. I mean, he's from. Is he from um, Maryland? Well, so he says he was born in Maryland, but I'm not yeah. sure where exactly. I'm not sure exactly where it shot either. Yeah, but it was that. It was all of his like own locations. So sure. When you see a it lot, could be California. It kind of looks like California. It, could, it looks like California too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a beach shot too. Yeah, so and the seagulls and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and that's also another thing. One of the brilliant things about this movie is use of like birds as like a, a visual motif, like all the way throughout. And it's kind of again another homage to the Maltese Falcon. Um, but yeah, it, it is beautiful in, in the way that uh, it feels like whoever shot and directed this movie actually knows the the town and knows um, the city because it has like its own mini universe in a way. Sure, like, sure. You, you you can't really see these events happening outside of this little um, ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because you gonna have to accept the kind of. Uh, feel that he's going for in this movie yeah, because yeah. it's one of those things where at first I was, it took it took me like a good 20 minutes before i was kind of in like mm-hmm. as far as being in because at first i was like what's going on <laughs> right, right. as far as everything's moving so fast mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's very interesting in the sense that it, it does have that low budget feel and yet um it really does deliver in a sense of obviously JGL is a standout in this because you you can't really put a finger on his character at first because yeah. you're like I don't know I'm not sure is this guy supposed to be the nerdy guy or right, he's not the nerdy guy right is this guy supposed to be the tough he's not the tough guy is this is he supposed to be crazy is supposed to be like it's such a you know a mixture of different characters that he's playing with mm-hmm. within his his own character right um, so that's always interesting and the fact that it's like you said it's about like the two crime bosses or the crime boss mm-hmm. um, and getting into that whole drug kingpin kind of thing but right. basically we're not going to give too much away but essentially this is not a spoiler by the way and i know people who say that this is not a spoiler it's not a spoiler but it's literally in the synopsis and it's literally in the first two seconds of the film yeah. but basically it's jgl trying to get justice for the murder of his ex-girlfriend yeah um and again it's in the first two seconds of the film like it opens with the shot of her. <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that's essentially what's that is what what that is about and he's going through uh, getting within the ranks of this weird sub drug empire of this high school mm-hmm. um, in order to get his own form of justice and in order to um, kind of uh, and he really makes it a point to not get the cops involved and to do his own version of what feel what he feels that justice is and he's mm-hmm. he's like hyper intelligent mm-hmm. and he's like hyper smart and he knows how to like manipulate people into certain situations mm-hmm. and that's kind of what he was going for i like his buddy too brain Bra- yeah brain brain yeah. being yeah, like and i like when he literally tells him he's like all right you're gonna be my my computer guy or something like that yeah, he tells yeah. him he's like all right you're my computer guy yeah. and i'm like all right we have literally have a computer guy he's right. like playing batman right now right. um where he has someone in the computer and he's like telling him what to do and mm-hmm. stuff <laughs> um so i like how he has that aspect of it too but essentially it's him finding justice and rising through the ranks and dealing with two um super over the top you know drug people you have the muscle who's tug yeah tug who plays like pretty much just the muscle or the second in command and then you have the the kingpin whose name is pin Pin, and then 
they kind of have a, a rift between them, I guess you can say. And then you have they have two gangs yeah. that are kind of going at it. And, and you have uh, Laura there, too, who's like kind of the weaving in and out of all of these different people. Yeah. yeah and that's so. another character that you can never put your finger on because yeah. I don't know what the hell she's doing. <laughs> right, right, right. Half the time. And then same with um, who's uh, Megan Good. Megan Good. Holy yeah, crap. Very Megan early Good. Megan Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Megan Good's in this because when I saw her, I was like, yo, is that Megan Good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Megan Good's in it. And then the guy who plays like um, the quarterback, I know oh, that guy. Right. I know. Yeah, he's, he's in, in Stomp everything. the Yard. He is in Stomp the Yard. Yeah, Stomp the right. Yard is and like. Megan Good. <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. Stomp the Yard's a movie i've seen like no joke like 15 times oh, dude are you kidding my, yeah, my, my, my friends and i used to be really into that <laughs> oh really oh the stepping yeah, the stomping and yeah. the dancing and all that and uh-huh <laughs> and then obviously in the beginning with chris brown and and uh hey, getting killed getting killed <laughs> and then tight eyes and crumping and all that yeah stuff. yeah because that's when crumping was at its height oh dude yeah. that's when cr- and my, my friends were so really chris into brown it. was at its height yeah. i remember when that movie came out like everyone was like mad. yo chris brown's in this yeah. movie and then he dies in the first 10 minutes and you're yeah. like yo chris brown's not in this movie yeah. <laughs> but anyways that i know him from stomp the yard because yeah. i was like where do i know that guy and I, I i went through his imdb and i'm like nope 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 stop the yard hey yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh megan good's in this and also her character is really weird too because yeah. i don't know half the time what's going on because at some points she like it's like i said it's very hyper realistic it's very over the top when he like Every time he talks to Megan Good, I'm like, what is going on? Because I know she's like an insider and she has like a piece of this yeah. going she's on. She's like speaking code the whole time. Yeah, right? and it's always like, yeah, I, I went with blah, 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 and did blah, 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 and did the blah, blah, blahs. And I'm like, who is who? What? Because yeah. she's going so fast. And also the moment when she's in like that clown makeup and she's like crying. And mm-hmm. then you know what I'm seeing mm-hmm. I'm talking about, right? right? Like towards, yeah. Towards, yeah, I'm yeah. like, what is going on now? She's like in white face and she's like yeah. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> she's, like when, she's like the theater kid, right? So yeah. she's about to go on like stage or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, dude, like like I said, like all of these are like just different facets of like the noir. Yeah, the super crazy stuff or like the yeah. fact that everyone dresses like the the boss. Oh, right. Like everyone right, everyone right, with in the white, with yeah, the white, yeah, the wife beaters. <laughs> yeah. Target and all the wife beaters and then um everyone looks like Dracula with yeah, with pen. With pen yeah. Cuz they all dress in all black with yeah. like long coats. Um, I and, thought that was kind of crazy. And they they uh and you know, I thought it was always funny the way they uh they would bring in uh, a lot of these like like ancillary characters like just to kind of fade in and out through like mm-hmm. different moments like when I don't want to spoil it but towards the end Tug has a big moment mm-hmm. um, with um, I can't remember the dude's name um, but like after that happens, you just you live with him for just a little bit of time. Afterwards. Oh, you and mean he, with uh, Bre- with Brendan? With Bre- Brendan Jail's character? Yeah, yeah. But you know he has he has a big moment with Tug, and then yeah, you spend that time together and kind of start to get a little understand. I think that's what's interesting with Ryan Johnson's films and go- going to all of them. Really, the the hen- the henchman or the side guy or the muscle are really all complex and like re- really have something on their shoulder like a chip on their shoulder you know sure. what i mean same same with tug we're gonna get into looper and with um the last jedi but all of the side guys are always always have like a power struggle happening from within uh, against the authority and then we see tug express that really well we also see pen get a little bit of his own side too like nope there's not like a really clear-cut bad guy and with the whole last monologue at the end you even learn that maybe some of your favorite characters aren't the good guys either you know mm. what i mean so um it's very it's very nice and complex in the way that it handles these 
mature themes within a high school setting, which sure. could frankly be really silly. Sure. Um, but it comes off really authentic. And the way he shoots this movie, I mean, he uses, he said he was inspired a lot by like the spaghetti westerns. So the way he uses like the low angle, um, long shots that, you know, you get, especially in that scene where there's that great chase scene, um, with him and just like a random guy that just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, literally yeah. a random guy. Yeah. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's like a great chasing because the way it's shot, again, it's like low angle. So you get like the whole like Western, sure. um, kind of feel to it. And when they're, when they're chasing each other and running along, the sound effects for the, for the running are just the, super loud and over the top. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It literally like, I was like, damn, those shoes, bro. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a lot of great moments like that. And even sure. the, when he was standing off against the uh, tug and the Mustang, uh, and I was like, they're playing chicken. So stuff like that is really what elevates this movie. Um, but it didn't com- it didn't really perform a lot commercially. It kind of sure. just became like a cult classic sure. in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that has to do with its anime influence, right? Mm. Um, you talk about how overly intelligent this dude is. Like that is very something out of anime. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Johnson's even stated himself that he was influenced, Brandon, by... Um, Spike from Cowboy Bebop. So, like, what's what your take on that? Like, do you see, like, the anime influence? Yeah, because anime, that's a lot, a lot of things that people don't get about anime, but part of the artistic value of anime is the hyper feel of it. The hype, by hyper, I mean heightened. Everything's yeah. kind of over the top, everything's mm-hmm. quippy and, and fast and giant and bigger than usual and, and longer and epic. And that's the, that's the thing because it's not, it's very much not any kind of Hollywood movie where everything's subdued and smaller and intimate. Where anime is heightened and hyper and crazy, um, but yeah, I, I get I get what he's saying is with the with the the character being like hyper smart and everything like that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely an anime thing, and everything being hyper, um, hyper realistic. Yeah, and um, the two gangs being um, very over the top to say the least. Yeah. But uh, but it's definitely interesting, especially when you mentioned Tug, because when I first met Tug in the in the movie, who's the big muscle guy, mm-hmm. um, he, I was just like, what is this? It's the guy that just likes beating people up. Right. Um, and he's wearing <laughs> a wife. Talk later. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's definitely one of those typical, stereotypical angry guys, but you're right. You do get some, some smaller moments with him that make him a little bit more of a relatable character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's the other thing too. You never meet any parents in this movie, except yeah. for you see the glimpse of Tug, mom i think right exactly who's like pouring water or milk yeah, for everyone uh, like, yeah milk, milk. Uh, and then and, and, uh apple juice yeah. <laughs> like, he's like hey, we don't have any orange juice yeah uh, apple juice. i don't know that that to me that to me is the scene that always makes me laugh the most sure because it's uh, honestly the first scene in the movie where you're just like oh this is a high school yeah <laughs> like uh like movie so yeah. yeah um but like like you're saying tug yeah you get you get you, that's the only parent you see in this movie mm-hmm. and, and no other parents but you never meet jgl's parents you mm-hmm. never meet and, and i'm like that it kind of takes away that feel because it feels like they're dealing with very adult concepts that if you introduce parents and all this going like what are you doing son like it would take you out of the movie because right. you'd be like oh this is weird but the fact that they don't really introduce parents makes it feel like they're 10 years older, right? They're, yeah. they're dealing with real stakes and real issues um, that are life or death situations, kind of. And they're it, not just high school like kids. Like, literally murder. Literally and, life yeah. and death, yeah. Like, literally two gangs. It's, it's, it's gangs, but it's a, it's a lower level of gangs. But it's still gangs. Right. Like, they'll still kill you. Right. Um, so it's definitely interesting to see that. And especially with the arc at the end of, of the girl's character. What's her name? Laura. Laura. Especially with her character, too. Mm-hmm. You see kind of the purpose of her character especially towards the end of the movie oh yeah yeah um, and that's that great scene that that great monologue mm-hmm. at the end um which even to this day i mean i was just watching right before we started and that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite like moments just of any movie um and with you know and of course introducing 
characters like Laura and characters like Tug and characters like Penn, you also get the flip side. You know, you, you kind of mentioned Brain having his own kind of kind of journey through this like he's mm-hmm. he's just kind of weaving in the background but at the end he kind of has the whole thing he's like are you not going to tell me yeah. what this is all about yeah. <laughs> did you really put me through all this to yeah. you know yeah, 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 um, yeah. so i thought that was fascinating too um but yeah he's great yeah yeah um yeah like you, the parents thing is interesting because i guess i never thought about that but yeah, yeah that's the first thing i thought about i was like where are the parents and i never met him and i'm like oh okay i think i i get what he was going for because if i met if i saw jgl's mom or dad going like where have you been son i would have been right. like oh this is weird right, right, right. <laughs> this is weird you're in high school bro what are you doing right but um the fact that i never saw them made it feel like they were like no this is real like we're 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 basically adults even yeah. though we're teenagers we're dealing with adult type situations right. and life or death situations even with Emily, who you know we learn in, in the beginning is the mm-hmm. one who's killed, mm-hmm. um, she has her own story that we become more invested in developing, mm-hmm. even without her even being there, right? Mm-hmm. Like just the narrative that we get from all these different people involved, like, oh wow, she was really damaged, she was really troubled, and you can see how she gets to this point, even as a high schooler, in the end. So yeah, and it's also based on like a lot of this movie makes a commentary on who you're surrounding yourself with, oh yeah, your friend groups, your cliques, mm-hmm. your 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 the people you choose to trust kind of thing mm-hmm. so it's very interesting to see like the downfall of emily was essentially the people that she chose to be friends with right. and the group she chose to be friends with yeah and, um, and frankly you know this movie came out in 2005 and this was kind of you know this is maybe a little spoiler territory but it, it kind of comments a lot on the idea of teenage pregnancy right mm-hmm. and especially something in 2005 that was like at the tip of everybody's tongue especially with that huge spike in teen pregnancies happening in the 90s and the early 2000s this movie kind of addresses that in a way that's like really weird and t- strangely touching but mm-hmm. like also like very emotional and, and like powerful um so you know of course that could just be another element incorporating the noir style and fashion of it but i think it's also you know it's pretty relevant in the sense that it's talking about uh something like that so absolutely any uh last thing you want to say about brick no i mean like like we said like i said in the beginning it's literally it's one of my favorite movies um i came i actually was introduced to this movie through like watching stuckman chris stuckman because mm. um, like i think it's one of his only movies that i gave like an a plus like early on to so i was sure. like wow this is this must be really cool let me check this out and then i checked that it was really awesome for cool me, so. man awesome yeah. shout out to chris then yeah um let's move there on to the brothers bloom which mm-hmm. came out um 2008 2008 thank you man mm-hmm. i swear i had it ready <laughs> now this one this one is essentially um a studio giving Ryan Johnson a budget and oh, yeah. giving him a cast and giving him names and actually uh, trusting him to do a bigger movie. It's obviously not a big movie, but it's still like the cast is pretty extraordinary because you have um, Rachel Wise, Adrian Brody, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and then my homegirl. Straight up, uh, oh, Rinko yeah. Kukuchi, yeah, who I love. I yeah. love as soon as she came out in this movie because again, I haven't seen this movie before. I recently saw it, right? And and when I saw her come out, I'm like, yo, that's Rinko. That's yeah. freaking yeah. Uh, from uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. Yeah. She's from uh, uh, Kumiko, the Treasure Hunter, which I talked about two years ago. It's a small indie movie. Mm-hmm. She's a phenomenal actress. That yeah, does Academy Award nominated. Academy yeah, Award. She is phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. she's so good. And most people know her from. Pacific Rim, but she's actually like she's a, a really freaking good actress right. in general. 
And uh, this one, this one's a very interesting movie too because it's also it's even more so hyper over yeah. the top kind of yeah. winking at the camera a lot and i didn't i didn't expect that from ryan johnson because it's two movies that are very much this one more so but it's two movies that are very much like over the top and kind of crazy and, and in your face and not really grounded in reality all the way through somewhat grounded but not all the way but essentially it's about um two kids who grow up um as foster kids mm-hmm. and they're two brothers and they're essentially learn to become con men and it, and it shows you how they start out as kids um learning how to deal how to how to lie to people to basically get what they want and especially when they're foster kids it's something they have to deal with a lot jumping through different homes and through different parents and stuff like that mm-hmm. so it, it kind of breaks down the story and it tells you that they've done this for a while and they learn that that's the only way to live and then it shows you their adult versions which is basically mark ruffalo and adrian brody and Mark Ruffalo's character is 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 known as Stephen, right? Um, yeah, Stephen, yeah. who who's known as essentially a, a, a writer, an artist yeah, at an creating author. cons. Yeah, he's a, he's an author. That the line he says in the movie, he's like he writes his cons like a Russian literature novelist, mm-hmm. with every detail and emotion and character and everything explicitly planned out to the T, like to the T, that he knows when people, like even at this moment, he knows when people are going to turn and when they turn, he's ready for the turn because he knows people really, really well. And he always kind of overshadows his brother and puts him in a position of being vulnerable and, and his brother is kind of tired of living the lie that of his life. It's his life is his life is an entire lie and it's never really true. So it's kind of Adrian Brody being kind of tired of going through the cons and going through life as being a liar and Mark Ruffalo's character kind of writing that through mm-hmm. and their con in this movie deals with main, mainly Rachel Wise's character right who is a character that is actually a char- is very over the top character yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's basically insane she's this crazy eccentric um, uh, super rich super rich yeah. epileptic photographer yeah. who has seizures every <laughs> once in a while um, right so this is a, obviously a very interesting movie. It's very stylized. It has a lot of funny moments. It has yet a lot of serious moments too. It's not mm. quite a comedy, but yeah. it's not quite like a drama either. It's, yeah. it's this weird hybrid of a movie. But what do you think about this movie? Because I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I recently saw it. Yeah, this movie gets a lot of flack. I think it came out uh, pretty early on. You know, before the the. I mean, this kind of style movie started catching on a lot, especially in like the 2010s, with something like Sherlock Holmes was coming out, mm. and like a lot of these over stylized Edgar Wright was becoming big. Mm. So this movie came out kind of before that. So a lot of people didn't really catch on to it. I know it. I mean, we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna address some of the criticisms later that a lot of people have for it. But one of the big criticisms that was aping um you know wes anderson style right Mm. from the very like linear shots to transitions from scenes and all that stuff um but i i really enjoy this movie i enjoyed it when i first saw it i caught it on cable like just randomly one afternoon i guess and then rewatched it again it's like this is a really funny movie but it's also really hard it's a lot a lot of heart in it i should say um you know we're dealing with rachel weiss's character uh, she is somebody who's super rich and super privileged, um, but she has all the money in the world and all the access to information in the world, but she's ultimately just super lonely, right? Mm. I think like exploring that theme of loneliness was really... I mean, you kind of get an idea of it in a comedic way when she has that whole moment of... 
uh, like showing um, um, Adrian Brody his, her hobbies. Yeah, her hobbies. Like I yeah. collect hobbies because she has nothing else better to do, right? Yeah, um, and she literally knows everything because she yeah. just reads and, and learns, right? Because right. she has all that time. Yeah, and nobody really to to share that time with, sure. right? So that's what really makes it interesting. Um, but I think over overall, though, you know, the movie really de- the main theme of the movie I interpret it as is the illusion of you know the illusion of cinema in, the, in like its own reflexive way you know what i mean like how film is meant to be tricking us and conning us as an audience hiding and showing specific information when, when we're supposed to get in when we're not supposed to get it sure um i think this movie plays with that a lot and 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 particularly in uh where you know he he has this uh steven has this great line saying that nothing in life is unwritten um so you know like how you know the way that movies manipulate us as as viewers and how they manipulate and how storytellers manipulate the lives of their characters is all kind of seen in, in a lot of different ways i mean you know when you look at at something like their first con when it when uh steven is shot by um was it steven or was it bloom who was shot no it was like, bloom who was bloom. Shot. yeah bloom who was shot and then they have like the fake blood and all that and yeah like when you first see that it's meant to be like a comedic kind of funny like oh they're just can- counting more people yeah but then when that same element comes up again and like a later moment you know not wanting against spoiler territory um but that same moment kind of happens again but like they play it and the way that is edited and shot and and written in the stakes that we come up into that point we think is real we're in on the con we're not like, like we got conned and ultimately um it comes off to a big emotional payoff and sure. then the ending you know that's kind of what's great about it right the the, the whole rule of comedy is uh, uh comedy is th- Three. and threes yeah. yeah so the third time that happens at the actual end of the movie is really really heartbreaking mm-hmm. um so again i think this movie kind of highlights how filmmaking um, is used to manipulate and con us as audiences. Um, obviously, this movie has a lot of influences, mostly from you know st- movies like The Sting and Dirty um, Dirty Ryan Rat- um, Rascals, in terms of like the heist elements and the common elements. But it also it has that very like French and European um, like new wave style too. It does like yeah. the Italian and the, and the French ways of like the camera movements and the quick dialogue and a silent character like uh, like Bang Bang and, mm-hmm. and all, like all of those weird little elements um, really help. But again, that's part of the criticism, right? Like the West the West Anderson. Um, I mean, what, so. Uh, did you when you were first introduced to the style of this movie? Did you catch on to it right away? Uh, immediately, yeah. Like I was that. That's one of those things. Because with Brick, it took me a while. I was like, "What's going on?" But with this one, it, it I I was in. I think what helped was the VO, the mm-hmm. voiceover. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, from the main character, that's kind of it. It helps because mm-hmm. um, I understand what kind of world they're setting up, and I was like immediately in the world mm-hmm. that they were setting up. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this movie's obviously I, I can't talk enough about Rachel Wise, who I've ranted about in the first uh, when we did Aronofsky and yeah. we talked about the Fountain. Rachel yeah. Wise, I can't lie, dude. Watching this movie, and I watch it alone, so I, I'm allowed to talk to the screen. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, damn, damn, I want to marry that woman, yeah. dude. I love Rachel <laughs> Wise. She's so cool. But um. Yeah, no, this movie's very interesting because you're right, it does deal with those different types of filmmaking and different inspirations from different types of filmmakers and styles of filmmaking. Uh-huh. But uh, I was in with it, man. I was totally in with it. it yeah. It's definitely, I, di- I did see the European vibes for sure. Yeah. I definitely noticed that for sure. And like you said, the silent character with uh, uh, Bang Bang Rinko's character in the right. movie. 
And uh, I loved her in the movie. I yeah, thought she, she was, was great. Hilarious, she was mean. great, dude. Yeah. She was so funny. Um, one of my favorite moments in the movie, and I'm not really spoiling anything, is uh, the bicycle scene. Oh, right, right. That's right, what happened. Yeah. I literally laughed out loud because <laughs> the whole idea is that they're going to get, it's not a, it's from the first 10 minutes of the movie, but they're going to get this girl in order to talk to Adrian Brody's character. So his plan is like, let's have her hit him on the bicycle and then she'll feel bad and then go up to him and take him to the hospital and then they'll get to know each other that's kind of the whole yeah. bit that they have going on that's their plan yeah and basically she hits him in the car hits him <laughs> hits him with the car with the bicycle and then he's all laid on the ground like waiting for her to like help him up yeah. and he's like looking up at his brother and his brother is his brother and, and uh, rinko yeah. or bang bang are like giving scores yeah. and they're like i don't know what's going on dude Six and he's just like all right pretend all right keep going now pretend to die and then you see the Lambo just start taking off, yeah. and I started laughing so loud. And then it tries backing up, and then she ends up crashing herself. Yeah, she has like a seizure watch. Yeah, dying. and then she crashes. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Dude. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously Mark Ruffalo is like, dude, this is even better, man. You'll get to know her even better. But right. I thought that was funny um, for sure. I also like Rachel Wise's character. You can never really put your finger on her character first. Right, right. Because you, you're confused by how eccentric she is because right. she's very like you said over the top and crazy um but it's it's definitely one of those characters that you kind of feel once you're in the movie and adrian brody man i haven't seen adrian brody in a minute obviously yeah because this is this is when adrian brody was like in a lot of stuff yeah he was like in king kong mm. and like uh, like a lot of stuff he yeah, was in yeah. predators he was in he was predators, in a ton of movies right. um obviously the, the when he played the piano pianist the pianist oh, piano i don't know um, the piano is the one with Anna Paquin. Yeah, I, I forget. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, Adrian Brody, he's a good actor. Yeah, um, I forgot about him. Anyways, Adrian Brody plays a very compelling kind of like you feel for him type character. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Mark Ruffalo is very much. And it's funny because they aged Mark. They I feel like they aged Mark Ruffalo a little bit more. They aged yeah. him up a little bit, make, like make in him, subtle ways. Yeah, I think that's really you know they wanted to give him the upper brother, the, uh, older, the older brother, brother feel. Yeah, because um, if you put him side by side, if I said who's older, I'd be like, eh. yeah. but they aged him up a, a tad with little details, and his beard had a little bit of gray in it. Right. Well, I think I think especially. I I think that really adds to the idea of Adrian Brody's character needing to develop his own life. He's lived under the thumb of his older brother his whole life, so he needs to be the one who, uh, so he needs to be the one who conquers and 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 eventually um, releases and frees himself from like the authority of his of his like of his older brother. Um, sure. So I think you know having having that dynamic there from the very start. We even when we meet him as kids, you always kind of tell like the old the older one has more of the power over sure. over him just because he's older and um seeing adrian brody's character i forget they just call him bloom in this movie right sure, yeah. yeah yeah and and the other one's called steven so whenever whenever we see bloom um you know having those moments of self-reflection and steven keep trying to tear him down like oh you don't really want to quit you don't want to really want to give up um you know it, it really adds to like the whole idea of maturing and growing up on your own sure so it's, it's really nice also i i really like the moment between rachel wise and adrian brody when they're talking about her life mm -hmm. and when she when he asks her if if he feels her life was like you know like she felt cheated out of her life mm -hmm. because she had to take care of her mom and stay indoors the whole time mm -hmm. and never really got to socialize because she right. doesn't have a uh she's uh, she has an inability to have a social life is basically what it is but and she says no because i basically told myself 
that I'm, I'm having such a great time where I told myself that I'm going to give the life I want for myself. And I basically convinced myself, I basically tricked my brain into thinking that this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's an inter- interesting thing that they said that about her character, the fact that she's able to um, convince herself that this is the life that she wants. Right. Kind of with, with like Adrian Brody's character where he's just obsessed with getting out of that lifestyle, but he's still in it throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. Right. And the fact that they're able to... The the fact that he wants an unwritten life, the fact that he wants a life away from the con mm-hmm. is still a con in itself right. kind of thing where mm-hmm. he's writing himself out of the story, but he's still in the story as himself. It, right. It's this weird little thing they do at the end. You know what I'm talking yeah, about because right. you've seen it. If you see the movie, you'll get it. But it's one of those things where I thought that was very interesting, how he the way he's able to write himself but it's still part of himself because at the yeah. end he says the best con, the perfect con is when everyone gets what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially what, what happens at the end of the movie where they complete the perfect con and the perfect con might not be what he thought he wanted, but it is what he wanted in the end. Right. So right. It's, a, it's a very – it has a little – it has a lot of layers, this movie, and I think it doesn't get enough credit that right. it deserves. I know, I know one of the other criticisms going back to Ra- Rachel Wise's character – um, one of the biggest criticisms is also the idea of her being like the manic pixie dream girl, mm-hmm. right? Like her just being there to kind of serve as the adventurous spirit to free um, the life of Adrian, Adrian Brody. Brody. Yeah, uh, you know, like you know the the beautiful, dreamy, rich girl that could finally um, let this man live or whatever. You know, sure. I mean, do you kind of think you know that that was coming across in this? Sure, or? but I think they address it. I think they 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 literally say that in the movie yeah. in the beginning of the movie when you meet her as yeah. far as like oh you know you got a pretty beautiful girl who's gonna you know trick me into this and that and that's kind of the whole the fact that they're able to talk about it initially is, yeah. I think is essentially what they were going for. So I yeah. think it's fine. No, I think I, it works. I think I think I think the exact same way, and I think that's even added by the fact that. For the whole movie, she's basically like her own person. Like she mm-hmm. has her own ag- uh, agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, like even as many times as Stephen or Bloom try to talk her out of something, whether that be in the sense of the con or whether that be like in the actual situation, she's not really listening. She's going to go her own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, is she is she kind of the dream girl that you know that he kind of wants and needs? Yeah, um, but she does live by her own thing and. You know, in the end, that leads to her being manipulated in many ways. Um, but uh, you know, that manipulation comes at her own um, agency. Mm-hmm. So she drives. She's actually the one who drives a lot of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's really fascinating is that you know, and they kind of it's kind of comparing this to Inception, and and you know, it's really comparing this movie to Inception. But like the idea of Inception is letting you know the. The way you convince somebody to do something is make them think that the, it's their own idea. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and here, a lot of the times, they let they just let her run wild and think that this is her adventure, this is her story. Uh, they're just writing it. You know sure. what I mean? So, I think that's really where it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, any last words on... Uh on yeah i mean this movie it you know it got a 66 percent on rotten tomatoes 
Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, six point eight on IMDb. So it's not really it doesn't really have the greatest reviews, but I think over time a lot of people have come to appreciate this, especially seeing the rest of Ryan Johnson's work. Um, you know, whether that be in Looper and, and now The Last Jedi. Um, but I think the, the theme of the movie is pretty, pretty perfectly summed up in like one quote where um, Rachel Wise's character says, a, a picture is a secret about a secret. The more it tells, the less you know. You know what I mean? I think this movie does a lot of not telling us things. And like I said in the beginning, manipulating the audience and the way the language in which we understand film to manipulate us as uh, as an audience. And they have the motif of the card tricks like throughout, and that's kind of the same thing with card tricks, right? Making so you look at one thing and 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 it's misdirection. Misdirection, exactly. Misdirection. I think this movie does that a lot in a very cool and interesting way. It, so. it, it's very interesting. Obviously, this is getting into a weird, deeper level, but it's also the the the, the definition of how you put yourself when you put yourself out there as a as a person you kind of put up a front yeah. as well. Like in real life, I'm saying like mm-hmm. most people aren't 100% fully transparently authentic because they're afraid of the judgment they will receive. So people always put up a front when it comes to the social front, mm-hmm. right? You always put your best foot forward basically. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea of like when does putting up that front eventually you trick yourself into becoming the character that you basically wrote yourself to be right right, right. where it's like i have to be a certain way because people have a certain idea of, of me and who i am and the character i play right um in real life when i socialize with people and then when i come back to it i'm so used to the cyclical manner of which i convince myself of who i am mm-hmm. this character that I start to become that character, right. right? Or I start to lose myself and forget who I am. Mm-hmm. It can be good. It could be bad. It could be it, most of the time it's not good because you're you're not yourself. But it's a very interesting point because especially in Hollywood, I mean, we see that in Hollywood at oh, a, yeah. at a whoo at a ten, bro, right? Because, when you, <laughs> because your yourself is your product. Mm-hmm. You are especially when it comes to actors, but even directors, even nowadays, even producers, anyone who's working in the industry. You yourself are your own product. Yeah, your image is almost as just your, as important your, as exactly. Your image is your career. Your um, the idea that people have of you is essentially what you're selling, right? I right. loved how I saw the interview with um. It's a variety talk that I've uh, mentioned before, but Variety does actors on actors, and it was a Hugh Jackman and Willem Dafoe one. Mm-hmm. And I love how Hugh Jackman said that, like at the beginning of my career. My small business was me. Mm -hmm. That was my small business. And I was a small businessman trying to sell me. I'm an entrepreneur trying to sell me. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird thing, but it's so true because that's why so many people have that unauthentic feel of Hollywood because it's not really authentic. You're you're a character. You're playing a certain thing that people think they want to see when they see Hugh Jackman or they want to see when they see whoever. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting thing that this movie deals with as well as far as playing that character and pretending to be someone that you might not be because that's what the idea that people have of you right so that's very interesting as well right, right. um any last things no that's that's uh, it for my me. last thing is shout out to rinko again i freaking love her yeah. uh, i love her introduction in the in the bar scene. Oh, right. also the ggl cameo did you see that yeah 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 again all of his movies because there's yeah. a tracking shot and i'm like that's ggl yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's wearing like a stub uh-huh. beard thing mm-hmm. that he's got going on yeah. um but the introduction to me to bang bang i love when mark ruffalo is talking about her and he's like uh-huh. who's this girl blah 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 she doesn't talk she's from japan 
band, but blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you know, she's like our fifth Beatle, he says. Yeah. And she's awesome. And, and you know, she does all this and does all that. And then uh, the guy at the bar is hitting on her by saying, hey, do you like anime? And I just laughed. But, um, anyways, I love the shot where where Mark Ruffalo goes like this and goes bang. Uh-huh. And then she goes like this. Like yeah. that. And then it goes back and it hits the, the light bulb behind her. That's such a cool shot because it yeah. actually looks like she's shooting her and she goes like that. Yeah. And I was like, that's a cool little detail that Ryan Johnson has to make you to make you on board for her character. Mm-hmm. You're immediately like, I like that girl. Right. Immediately. I was just like, dude, I love her. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Um, just because of a little detail that they put in there. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought that was awesome. All right, now we are moving on to the film that he has, which is known as Looper. Yeah. Which came out in 2012. Now, like you you mentioned before that Chris Tuckman was the one that got you to watch Brick. Yeah. This one, 2012, it was... was Christian Harloff and the Schmoes who got me to watch Looper. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. I, I obviously didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it anytime else. But when they they regarded it as like one of their favorite films or whatever, I mm-hmm. specifically remember Christian saying that, mm-hmm. that he loved this movie and that everyone needs to see it. I remember legitimately being like, okay, and then going out to rent the movie and actually yeah. watch it. But um, this was a movie obviously starring JJL again. Mm-hmm. And this one got a little bit more attention for Ryan Johnson now, right? Yeah, because now, now he's got Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Willis is, no matter what, he's going to be a big name. And it's, a, it's, a, it's sold to you as an action movie, mm-hmm. a time travel action movie. So getting Bruce Willis, who's basically an action star, yeah. kind of convinced an audience to go check it out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very it's interestingly like it's regarded as a great film and yet it has a lot of debates at least with me oh, yeah. and my friends because I debate this movie a lot especially when it comes to time tra- time travel because I'm like a time travel like geek <laughs> like nerd I love time travel and I love right. the aspects of it and different shows and different movies that talk about time travel and this one has their own interpretation of time travel right. but uh, but essentially it's about um, future i think i think it's 2024 20 2044 2044 the 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 joseph gordon levitt storyline 2044 and then the bruce willis storyline is 2074 okay yeah okay but um but basically it's it's a it's a future where time travel hasn't been created Mm -hmm. in that time but it has been created in the future Mm -hmm. and essentially it's assassins and and the premise is so crazy to me that i'm even i'm i i struggle to get into it because i'm like (laughs) it's assassins that basically kill people for a living Mm -hmm. but the way they kill people is that the people in the future send them back in time Mm -hmm. then they take them out um, mm-hmm. And then that person in the future doesn't exist anymore because guess what? They were sent back in time, so they literally don't exist. Yeah. Um, and they dispose of the bodies in the past, so the, the materials of the body will never remember in the future. And then the eventually, part of the contract you sign as one of these assassins or one of these loopers, is what mm-hmm. they're called in the movie, is that you sign a contract saying, I'm going to be doing this for a while, kill, 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 until eventually I kill myself, my older self in the future, from, mm-hmm. I mean, from the future. Sent to the past, I kill myself, and then I'm set. And then, but basically, you're signing a contract saying 30 years from now, I'm allowing you to take me and kill me. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm like, 
What? Why would you sign that, though? <laughs> not, not, not a very forward-thinking. Uh, That's what he says uh, yeah. in the movie. He said the job doesn't attract forward-thinking people. Yeah. And I was like, "That's a, that's." I'm glad you said that because why would you sign a contract that says, you know what, I'm going to kill myself in the future, but for now, I'm going to do lots of drugs. And it's like, so? You're still going to die? Yeah, like, yeah. I can't see myself ever, like no matter how old I am, being willing to be like dragged out of my home and shot by myself. Yeah. Like, you're going to go shoot yourself now what (laughs) but basically that's the premise of the story and it's bruce willis um playing the older version of joseph gordon levitt Mm -hmm. um or vice versa and then he gets sent back in time to kill him and he's unable to kill him because bruce willis is such a badass that he can't kill him Mm -hmm. and then he's chasing him down throughout the whole movie and bruce willis is obsessed with killing this crazy gang leader Mm -hmm. like almost world leader at this point called the rainmaker who's in the past so he's going to the past not only to stop himself from killing himself Mm -hmm. but to stop the rainmaker from being this crazy power all powerful you know gangster who's killing everyone in the future and the rainmaker is the one in the beginning of the movie we see a lot of the loopers are starting to close their own loops correct yeah and the rainmaker is the one who's making that decision because we see Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character Seth, played by Paul Dano. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he's like, "Dude, they're closing my loop. This is like the fifth loop in like four weeks or something like that." Mm-hmm. Um, so we we start to wondering, like, "Damn, what?" You know, and and of course we expect Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, um, you know, uh, old Joe to come back and 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 have that interaction. But when he opens, when he when he comes back and there's no bag on his head and it's just Bruce Willis just sitting there and he looks him right in the eyes, like what else is Joseph Gordon-Levitt supposed to do, right? Yeah, because when he has a bag on his head, it's easy to just be ch- ch- and shoot him, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But when it's like you see, you're like, oh, shoot, that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. weird. This is weird. Like I would hesitate too because I'd be like, yo, that's me though. Mm-hmm. This is really weird. Um, so yeah, definitely. That's an interesting point for sure. And it's also the concept of, here we go again, killing baby hitler <laughs> right, right, right. killing a guy who is supposed to make atrocities when they're younger uh, if you know someone is going to be a crazy killer in the future do you go in the past and kill them mm-hmm. that's essentially what bruce willis is trying to do by killing someone he knows is a kid in the past so he's basically killing kids in this movie yeah and they they tell you he's killing kids because he's narrowed it down to, to three. three kids yeah and he's visiting each house. Mm-hmm. And basically, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the last house protecting the kid and also waiting for Bruce Willis so he can shoot Bruce Willis mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. But then, another aspect of this film that I think is so interesting, and then again, I'm going deep nerd to you. Mm-hmm. My favorite, every time someone asks me, what superpower would you have if you could have one superpower? Every time someone asks me, my favorite X-Men, Jean Grey, when it, when it comes down to to something known as oh, telekinesis. Yeah, yeah. I am obsessed with telekinesis, which is why I'll, I'll get into Last Jedi shit too. Oh, yeah. Because Last Jedi talks about the Force and telekinesis stuff, and I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I love it because I love telekinesis. And this movie essentially talks about that too. How does one man take over the world? Telekinesis, bro. <laughs> yeah. well, he's, he seems to be a second generation uh, because when uh, Joe is explaining how the world works and and how there's 10 percent of the populations and it's really uh, basic telekinesis yeah it's they like could just floating like, a quarter quarters, yeah or like light or or book yeah, yeah yeah so like but you know this this kind of genetics just kind of just popped up out of nowhere 
Uh, but what we see in the Rainmaker is kind of one of the first examples, I guess, of a second generation uh, TK because he um, obviously his mother is one who we meet Emily Blunt in this movie. Really one of the first times I've ever seen Emily Blunt in any. Oh yeah, Emily. Bl- this is another thing that that showed you Emily Blunt is a phenomenal actress. Mm-hmm. Like she's crazy good, mm-hmm. right? So you're right. She's another one who I forget is like regarded as an amazing actress now. Yeah, and then uh, but yeah, her part in the movie is that she's the mother of this future rainmaker um, who we. Or I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe that's a spoiler. Whatever. We could, I mean, that's, it's that's, not really. It's in the first yeah. like twenty some minutes of the movie. They yeah. tell you. Yeah. So um, I don't but, think that is. I mean, I think enough people have seen Looper too. Yeah. Way. Yeah. It's, so it's not a spoiler. Yeah. Um, I, plus, I already said that he's going back in time to kill a guy who. I yeah, right. yeah. So anyway, so yeah, we we understand that you know we understand what's at odds. We understand the stakes. I think this movie. I mean, to me, is one of my favorite science science fiction movies of all time. Um, and I remember watching this initially in theaters and just kind of being like, uh, I don't really like this. You know what I mean? Like, because when you watch mm-hmm. it, you kind of have like this shock of you experiencing and going with this one story for the majority of the time, and yeah. then just kind of hanging out on the farm for <laughs> the rest of the movie. Sure. Um, and you also, I'm going to let you finish, but mm-hmm. you also don't really know which Bruce Willis to root for, which right. Joe to root for. Because mm-hmm. at one point, I'm like, oh, Bruce Willis is the good guy because he's trying to fight for his love, his wife, and, mm-hmm. and his family and trying to take out the gangsters. And then I, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's working for the gangsters. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, wait, what if Joseph Gordon-Levitt's the good guy? And Bruce, and I, it's always like, mm-hmm. who's right? Who's wrong? Right. I don't know. Right. It's the only sci-fi movie that... Ask the question, what if you're, you know, a lot of times with sci-fi or with time travel in particular, it's like, who is the cause and who is the effect? Um, this movie is the first time that it's like, what if you're the cause and the effect, right? Uh, what if you're the one who's actually responsible for creating the monster that you want to destroy? Um, and I think that's really what's interesting about this movie. That's what really hooks a lot of people in as one of the best sci-fi movies. And, you know, I think one of the ways it tackles the sci- the time travel... I mean, a lot of people, you know, kind of say sci-fi, the, the time travel doesn't make sense. You can make an that's, argument for... That's what my, my buddy, he argues to the death that right. it makes no sense. Right. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, they when they were doing this movie, they obviously brought in uh, Shane Kroof, who... Uh, Shane Kroof is the guy who um, directed Primer, um, which is regarded as probably the best time travel movie maybe of all time you know, by a lot of people. Um, so he, you know, Shane Kruv, or if not the best, the most complicated sure. tra- time travel movie, right? Shane Kruv, uh, Primer and an Upstream Color in 2013. But, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson had, um, you know, look at the script and kind of consult with the time traveling elements in this movie. And ultimately, I, I think where they landed on, at least according to the director's commentary, is that they were, the time travel rules in this movie are similar to that of the Terminator, right? So if you, if you're in one timeline, if you're in another timeline, be time travel back to your timeline and you start to change that, you're in a, and you're in one particular timeline. So, and the fact that when, um, when something happens to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like he cuts himself, it'll come up on older Bruce Willis because in that timeline that happened, even though his memories are from another timeline. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's it's, it's a little tricky, but like I think ultimately they found it's, it's it's definitely a little tricky. Go, yeah. Yeah. Well, they found their set of rules and they're mo- mostly staying consistent with it. Uh, but it's the same idea of the Terminator. You know, there's the rules they're going off of of Kyrie's being sent back into the past of a timeline that he's not in. But, you know, the timeline that he alters is ultimately the timeline that we're going to see in the future. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where that's where it really lands. I, I love this movie. Um, 
And ultimately, like Bruce Willis says in the movie, if we're going to be talking about time travel all day, we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about time they, travel. They really, all they, day, talk, right? they talk to the audience a lot in this movie. Yeah. Where, where, the, where the audience, every time they're like, all right, let's explain this. And Bruce Willis is like, let's not. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> and literally, literally screams, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? And he looks in the, he basically is looking at the camera and being like, don't try to figure this out. Because it's not worth it. It's time travel, so shut up. (laughs) Like, there's multiple times in this movie where they're actually telling the audience that, which is kind of funny because they literally tell you, "Hey, stop, stop, stop! Time travel's crazy. Just let's let's not think about it." Yeah. Um. But it's definitely one of those things where explaining their own rules and the rules they're dealing with and the de- the 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 topic of of your physical self versus your mental self versus mm. where you are cognizant of a certain future and cognizant of a certain past it's kind of like flashpoint too to be honest um flashpoint is a obviously a dc right animated right. movie where they talk about that you've seen flashpoint yeah right? yeah but but uh barry allen mentions that where he talks about the different timelines and how one certain thing t- changes another and he starts to lose memories of another thing while he gains memories of the current timeline. Right. It's it's crazy. Time travel's crazy, but I I obviously I obsessed with it cuz I love it. But yeah. um yeah, this movie does deal with those concepts, specifically the concepts of and I, I again when it comes to sports we're not spoiling we're just talking about the premise of the movie and essentially what the movie's about, but when it comes to the idea of killing the idea of killing someone who is going to commit atrocities versus you you attempting to kill that person is what set them on the path to kill you. <laughs> right, right. It's the cause, it's the cause and the effect. The right? cause and the effect, yeah, exactly. Like the center of that. Um, um, that's essentially what it's about in the movie. And I, I thought that was such an interesting point because I didn't get that till the end. Mm-hmm. But at the end is essentially when you obviously get it because they yeah. tell you. Uh-huh. Um, versus the Bruce Willis, older Bruce Willis um trying to kill that kid right turning that kid into eventually what he is or is it the idea of the kid not being raised by his mother where versus if he had his mother he not he might have not been the monster that he becomes right 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 right. i mean it deals with a lot of interesting um ideas of uh, again and this is coming from another look at the future like economy right i mean a lot of what this movie's about is like globalization and uh commercial and um i'm sorry capitalism nature that kind of leads to these like dirty grimy consequences for a lot of these people right i mean the joe character he lives in the city um he's surrounded by like dirt and like filthy people um and it's it's really it's a neo-noir right that's what that's what a lot of people categorize this movie as a sci-fi neo-noir um, and actually, funny enough, this is the movie when I saw it, I had, you know, I didn't really love it, but I was interested in this idea of, oh, what, what is neo-noir? What is this? So I kind of started to look into that stuff, and that's ultimately what became um, my favorite genre. But yeah, this movie, in dealing with the ideas of like Chinese money, like the Arabic watch that he carries, like how global sure. the world is supposed to be now, I think that's really what plays another role into what makes the the rainmaker such a powerful figure because he's able to sweep into the mob and take over because this is so widespread all around so it's very interesting too and it talks about the different the evolution of each country right yeah where it's like where you think one country will be in the future versus what you what eventually becomes of that country right Uh, specifically with china and specifically with france right because he's trying to learn french because he's obsessed with france 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 but in the future france is going to be whatever versus china is going to be popping in the future right so he's like why don't you learn mandarin because china is going to be popping in the future yeah right now it sucks but trust me in the future china's going to be lit you know crazy you know what's funny about that too (laughs) uh the 
the movie was actually supposed to be set in France or in Paris. Oh, when gotcha. he goes into the when he goes into the future. The they just didn't have enough money to shoot in sure. Paris. So then, uh, but because the movie was Chinese financed, the uh, financers just like, why don't you just shoot here? You know, we'll cover the cost of that. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what made the movie as successful as it was because it did big numbers in China mm. when it came out. It did really big numbers in that's China. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, even though it's like only a couple scenes that's set in Shanghai, yeah. um, it did good numbers in China, and and that's part of it again, like the the globalization aspect of it. You know, he has the Chinese watch, the, uh, the I'm mean, sorry, the Arabic watch. He has and the tattoo. The tattoo. That's yeah, yeah. And again, he's learning French because. Uh, and and I think in the next thirty years, um, the whole idea of like this English and uh, an American centric economy is going to be kind of evaporated. Well, most or most well we're we're in the middle of that right now, yeah, right? Especially yeah. with with the president of China and Trump, yeah, kind of dealing with their own things and doing side things, and the fact that China is is progressively getting better, not just economically, but w- with. Uh, they're experts in the online world and the mm-hmm. computer world, and that's oh, yeah. obviously something else with Russia too. But with China, I mean, you see it in Mr. Robot, dude. I mean, oh yeah. This, when they talk about China and Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. it's so true. Right. Like every, imagine every hacker we have here. Imagine that times ten in China. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like the, the 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 knowledge they have on computers and about influence is it's crazy. Like yeah. they're next level. It's it's China is such an interesting country because i was thinking about this the other day because like thinking about lonzo ball and thinking about china and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff because i was thinking about it watching sports center because we're talking about china 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 mm-hmm. playing basketball in china i have a friend of mine um a friend of mine plays professional basketball in china oh really uh-huh okay. yeah this is this wow. is a little side note but it's one of those things where Ch- the chinese market for basketball is growing and growing one of my friends plays basketball in china another one of my friend coaches basketball in china really because they play here um the friend who's playing ball in China played here on a on a smaller school level. Mm-hmm. He played at a Florida Florida International something Florida mm-hmm. FSU or not FSU. I'm sorry, FIU. FIU. I think it's what it. Okay. Um, but basically, the idea of taking taking your knowledge and taking your talents to a different growing market in China, mm-hmm. and the idea also of the way that China isn't as progressive as probably Japan is. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when it comes to human rights, when it comes to oh, yeah. laws, it's so crazy how China is so obsessively capitalist while at the same time being so obsessively not capitalist and communist, kind of. Mm-hmm. It, it's a weird mix of what the society is because yeah. it's not quite the brainwashed society of North Korea oh, at all. Definitely not. It's but, definitely not, but at but the same time, it has... There's a lot has, of communist ideas that... There's a lot of communist government yeah. plants that they put specifically with the capitalistic overtone over it. It's cra- it's crazy. Like, the stuff that's going on there and the fact that my friend lives there mm-hmm. is, is, is a very interesting thing for sure. Mm-hmm. But I just love how the idea of, like the future what the future is going to be and what what markets are going to grow and what markets are going to stay stagnant kind of thing right. and they deal with that in this movie when he's learning french when instead he should be learning in a different language right 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 and um you know this movie has a lot of great great messages as well i mean obviously when he uh when we get the introduction of of joe through the lens of jeff daniels character mm. um when he's talking about him he kind of says like when when we found you you're just a kid with like slick hair and uh like running a block basically just doing crime and doing whatever um but then after he gets his loop as we see in that in that timeline where he does actually kill his own loop um he he basically recruits back to what he was when he was younger right his hair comes back back down he uh he's just 
committing random crimes, robbing people, killing people, and yeah, ultimately just to feed his drug addiction, right? I think that's another thing this movie touches on is uh, really heavily is the usage of drugs and how mm. that um, can influence and corrupt the uh, you know some some people who might have not otherwise. But then and you know, that, how that's essentially throwing your life away. They say that a lot in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I totally but, mentioned. But that. then they also have that great moment where he's talking with Emily Blunt about like how his mother was on drugs and he always or not with Emily Blunt. I think his it was the kid. He was like he always thought his mother was just so stupid for having for being on drugs. But like ultimately he he was coping with she was coping with the pain that she was feeling and he's doing that too whenever he's on that. And uh, you know it's it's kind of weird seeing not weird but it's fascinating how this movie positions the usage of drugs, particularly when uh, most of these kids are like losing or like are closing their own loops and then their solution is to celebrate and get as high as possible <laughs> like and just like i guess enjoy the rest of their lives just throw the rest of it away um, but it's also the idea of being how your future is dictated by your, your past your yeah but your obsession with drugs specifically mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where it's like my i'm hooked on drugs and it's such a way that I'm basically throwing away my future, where right. I basically don't have a future, where I'm basically just an empty list junkie right. who's just looking for the, ne- the next hit, right? Mm-hmm. That's such a crazy, uh, not crazy, but it's such an interesting concept, the way he chooses to identify drugs as the same thing as throwing your life away. Right. Well, it is. It's the idea of self, self-obsession. And I think that's the theme in all of Johnson's movies, whether that, especially in Brothers Bloom, with the idea of the con men, right? Conning people out of just thinking selfishly. Um, and we'll see that in The Last Jedi as well. But self-obsession is the... When we see it in this movie... It comes in the form of younger Joe through his abuse of drugs and how he's just not caring about anything and just living his life vicariously and and whatnot, like hooking up with strippers and stuff. Um, but his uh, his older Joe, the his upset, his self obsession is killing these kids, is killing, is finding the rainmaker and avenging his wife essentially, who like you know who dies at the hands of the rainmaker. And by the way. That whole sequence when we see like from year one to year 30 and how, you know, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character develops into the Bruce Willis thing. That's brilliant, man. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, Ryan Johnson's like the king of montage, dog. And the fact that it's mostly silent. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no dialogue. It's just all these like different locations, different spots. Like uh, times where you think that's a big budget action sequence in itself it just flashes to it and just keeps it moving right (laughs) like these are big story points that they kind of highlight i think johnson does that throughout all of his movies like every single use of montage in his films are just really bright and vivid and feel really nice and natural um but in carrying the story along but also very stylized and you get a clear understanding of what's happening so again this is you know, Looper is something that really has a lot of has has affected a lot of people. Did really well um, critically. Made a lot of top ten lists. I remember there was even some stuff about it getting nominated for the screen. I think it got nominated for the WGA original screenplay. Oh, really? I think. But I, didn't know that. It, I, didn't, I don't think it got. I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I don't know if it. I know there was a lot of talk about it getting in the Oscar nomination for best original screenplay too. Um, but like I said initially, and watching this movie. The whole stuff, you know, the whole second half being set in a barn um, was really off-putting initially. Um, but then re- revisiting that, you get a lot of the idea of, you know, we've lived in the city life for long enough. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character has lived in the city life, you know, pretty much all of his life. 
um, now that he has to be forced into hanging out with this family and just kind of being recluded from the rest of the world, that's beginning his process of cleansing himself. You know, then he starts to go through withdrawals and starts to kick his, his drug habits. I think that's just really great, man. I think the way they handle that, um, and obviously there's life and death situations and stakes at, on the on the edge, but, sure. it, it, you know, at the end of the day, um, he's able to clean himself up in that, in that way. So I, I don't know. I thought, what, what, what are your thoughts on, like, the way... The, pay, the pacing of this movie goes, right? The pacing's you, phenomenal. Yeah. It's great. I think it, it deals with those things very interestingly. And the fact that it makes both sides of the character very compelling, and mm -hmm. you kind of root for both sides, that's my thing. Like, I, I I really was rooting for older Bruce Willis the vast majority of the movie when I was first seeing the movie, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, dude, like, go save your wife and freaking kill the freaking Hitler kid. Mm -hmm. But but at the same time, eventually I found out, like, ooh, he's killing kids. It's not cool. Yeah. And then eventually I was like, all right, I see I see what they're doing the fact that in order to stop a monster you become the monster that you initially were trying to stop mm -hmm. like that's deep in itself right mm -hmm. and it's also the concept of a kid it's like childhood right? right how much childhood can dictate who you are how much the innocence of a child experiencing certain trauma can can stay with them their entire life to the point that they're inflicting so much pain on people in the present, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like the, the idea of, a, of an innocent child is so pure and so innocent, mm -hmm. corrupting that child at a very young age mm -hmm. and making him feel the real world at a young age right. is, is, is damaging. It's, it's detriment, detrimental to who they are as a person and who they become as a person. And that's why so many parents like in real life are obsessed with keeping their children safe, keeping them protected keeping them from watching certain things from speaking certain ways because they want them to experience their childhood in the purest manner they can so that when they get into the real world whether that be high school whether that be college whether that be their first job they they now know what it's like to have a childhood that was very much fulfilling right, right. that's why as a parent like i'm not a parent but as as uh, parents I didn't realize, man, especially living with uh, living with my brother, and mm -hmm. he has a ton of kids, mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much being a parent really meant you kind of don't have a life. And I don't want to say that in a bad way, but in the sense that you're giving up certain things that you like and certain things you want to do, and you're giving all that up for your kid. You, you want your kid to have moments and mm -hmm. to have memories of certain things, and you're working your way to build those memories and you find satisfaction in the memories and in the joy of your kid mm -hmm. in order for their life to be a success but mm -hmm. you're you, as a parent you're basically just living for them right mm -hmm. that's a lot of what it is especially as a child right obviously mm -hmm. when they get older it, it becomes different but yeah it, it's so interesting that the way they dive into that because they're talking about the, the way emily blunt's trying so hard to give this this kid peace yeah and where if you don't give him peace the potential he has to make to damaging become, effects. Yeah, and become be, the rainmaker. And, and become the rainmaker. Yeah, and but it, you know, and, and again you touch on a great thing because, you know, she says, What if what if uh, she raised him good? What if he he's able to have a good childhood, have a good life, and ultimately be the one who uh, and ultimately use those powers that he has, those incredible powers, for something good and mm -hmm. for the great and for the for the good of the people. Yeah. Um so and now now that we have the one scenario where we see the bad guy, the bad version of this happen. Um, you know, now we got now seeing that Emily Blunt actually does is able to provide for a kid. You know, uh, what what where would that result in? That's the ultimate question that 
Young Joe has to ask, right? And protecting because once he realizes that he's the rainmaker, he almost wants to kill the kid too. Like, like seeing how much power he has uh, in that great scene with uh, with Ty Barrishow, right? The guy from Modern Family. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When he comes in and and like uh, the kid just like explodes him with like that cloud of blood, and it's yeah, like, oh yeah. shoot, what is this? Telekinesis uh, is what it is, bro. <laughs> no, but it's it's dealing with the concept of. Um, one of my favorite shows in the past, uh, Smallville. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Smallville? Uh, yeah. I've seen it a little I haven't, I haven't seen Small, it. The whole premise of 10 seasons, right? It's mm-hmm. a 10-season show, but the whole premise of it is essentially coming down to Clark's parents, mm. Jonathan and Martha. The, this show is basically about Jonathan and Martha versus Lionel, which mm-hmm. is Lionel Luther. Right. What would happen in a, in a, in a different universe if Clark was raised by lex luther's family right and the fact that lex luther is a product of his parents mm-hmm. is, is specifically his dad who's a very vicious businessman and he's mm-hmm. very you know strong-headed and vicious and cold and cold-hearted mm-hmm. and very goal-oriented and obsessive what would happen if if clark superman mm-hmm. was was raised by the parents of 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 lex luther lionel luther right right and essentially it shows that he becomes bitter he becomes cold he becomes conniving versus being raised by the kents who are very peaceful who are very loving loving who are very conservative who are very like all these different ideals that are placed into the upbringing of someone who has potential world universe changing power like a superman right because that guy's right. the most powerful guy in the universe um what do you do with someone who has so much power raising them the responsibility it is same with a uh, freaking raymaker kid tk yeah. his crazy telekinetic powers he has the potential of blowing up the planet he has the potential of saving the planet right mm-hmm. What is the upbringing of that kid that can change it? Right, right, right. No, this, this movie deals with some of the uh, biggest questions, I think. The sci-fi movie of this budget, I mean, I think the budget was like $60 million or something like that. Great budget, you know, for a, a contained science fiction. By the way, we didn't even talk about, we talked about Jeff Daniels' bad guy a little bit. I can't remember his name. Abe, Abe is his name. But even even uh, his henchman. His again, little another, henchman, yeah. Another henchman who has his own arc, right? Sure. Um, he is a dude who uh just wants to be accepted by by the authority he wants to be he wants to see his own like he wants to be appreciated he wants to be valued for for things he does and he's just trying so hard throughout the entire movie even after you know even 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 when he doesn't have to be um so i think that's really really great and the fact that the abe uh jeff daniels character calls him cowboy he's like all right cowboy yeah think you're cool cowboy like and like how how his gun is just like the ultimate antithesis of like his manlyhood like you know again that's something we see in like other like you know that's something that is a trope that's like a trope in like the 1970s and 80s overcompensation yeah with especially with with the gun right that's dirty harry that's everything uh so he was probably raised on those ideals and and that's something that carried that carried on into him. So when he gets his gap taken away and Jeff Daniels takes away, he just feels like a little boy again. And I think that's really fascinating how he has that arc to him too. Um, and the fact that um, Jeff Daniels kind of comments, he's like, "All those movies that you guys are dressing up like right, are right. all movies copying other movies." Exactly. exactly <laughs> Another exactly. commentary towards the movie itself. Right. 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 I thought that was kind of funny. He's yeah. like, "Those movies are just copying other movies that copied other movies." Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, "All right. All right. I see what you're saying, Looper. Right. I see what you're saying, Ryan. Yeah. I see it." <laughs> no, it's, it's really it's really smart in that way, and I think that um, having all of those, especially. 
you know, it has it has a lot of intertextual kind sure. of references too, right? Uh, particularly in his use of time travel, kind of relating back to like the Terry Gillians, like the Twelve Monkeys, right? Something else that Bruce Willis is in, mm-hmm. but the, that kind of notion of time travel being somebody who's stuck in between time and not really sure, you know, uh, like kind of seeing your own death sure. is, is is something that kind of kind of reminisces throughout this film too sure so again a lot of great themes that i kind of almost wonder there's that one big action sequence that bruce willis has i almost kind of wonder if bruce was like all right i'm gonna sign on to this movie but i need an action scene <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I don't think it was even bruce i think it was like the studio <laughs> <laughs> if bruce doesn't kill at least 40 people <laughs> this ain't worth it yeah, they, yeah. it could have been part of the yeah. deal that's you know that's that's the genius i love that scene though yeah it is a great, great scene and genius of ryan johnson man who else could get fucking bruce willis to wake up you know what i mean like, no, for real dude that, that's like, serious, like you hear yeah. stories about bruce being like the most like who gives a crap kind of guy and who doesn't do anything but it's true yeah like that fool will not <laughs> put yeah. any effort into anything he's yeah. crazy bruce willis is insane he's acting his ass off in this movie though. yeah he yeah. was it was really good dude yeah. but i think he was just happy just holding a gun and shooting people yeah. <laughs> joseph gordon levitt with the prosthetic nose i know yeah. that was, that's that's a criticism for a it lot took of people. people out of the movie yeah, yeah. yeah. it didn't I, take me out at all well i think i think it helped connect the the bruce willis appearance sure. right that's what it's supposed to do um but to me it felt like oh this kid would be a young bruce willis if you know it, it wasn't distracting to me at least like yeah. i thought it was really it I wasn't it was to me good. either yeah i, I think i think jgl gave a good performance oh yeah and he really nailed the mannerisms like the, the little eye twitch that, mm-hmm. that bruce willis had like when he was younger and stuff like that also um, also the fact that uh, i i i don't know this might be a stupid comment but the fact dude that scene where he's like eating cereal and he's like in a wife beater or something. He's yeah. so skinny in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. George, I think he talked about it in a different interview, but he talked about losing weight for this movie. And I'm like, damn, dude, you got skinny. Yeah. Like, so skinny. Well, he's playing that junkie role, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what he's supposed to and do. He, so. he talked about losing, like, I forget how much it was, like 20, 30 pounds for this movie. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's JGL. It's not like a fat guy. It's a skinny dude, naturally. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he got so skinny for this movie is crazy it's a testament to him um last thing i'll say about looper is um i think he says this in the diner but he says why don't you do what old men do and die (laughs) that's a great line that's a great freaking line uh it's probably my favorite line in the movie and i'm like you gotta say that like even if that wasn't in the script i hope they just added that in because that's such, such that, a true thing. That's so funny that he's like actually talking to himself yeah. when he says that too. Like, you're old. Die, dude. <laughs> Shit. It's like, but I'm you, man. I don't care. You're old. Ew. Gross. <laughs> but uh, what's the last thing you want to say on this? No, I, this is this is one of my favorite science fiction movies. Uh, you know, again, it, it's the idea of neo-noir, especially the stuff that's set in the city is really, it's kind of, you know, to me, it feels like the sequel that should have been to Blade Runner. <laughs> You know, this is me. You mean the greatness uh, of Blade Runner twenty forty nine? What? Uh, let's not let's not yeah. get too carried away. All right, all right. <laughs> um, again, I, I like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Just don't love it. Um, this, but this movie was this movie kind of and it and it takes a lot of visual aesthetic of from Blade Runner too. It does, or from really Scott in general, mm-hmm. right? From the production design to the cinematography um, and and whatnot. Um, but it's his very own distinctive style. And, it, you know, you kind of alluded to it before, but this is a much grittier kind of style that Ryan Johnson's working in. There's still some over-the-top elements, of course. Sure. And there's still some uh, key visual moments. I know, like, the whole idea of, like, the cloudiness and the fog is, like, a big visual motif, right? From, like, the creamer and his coffee to, like, the blood that 
uh, spears splatters, eye, yeah, yeah, splatters eye of that guy, and, and even you know from the smoke that he's just smoking, you know, the, the cigarettes or the incense or whatever. Um, and when he gets high, like his eyes even get like super cloudy in the in the, in the oh, pupil. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a little detail I just noticed when I was rewatching it. Um, but again, that's that's a part of the visual style and, and, and feel of this movie. And uh, ultimately, this is like I said, one of my favorites, and I think that. Over time, this movie has garnered and will continue to garner a bigger and bigger following. So, sure, especially uh, when more people check it out. Yeah, definitely. And even you know, you know, when, when smaller directors go on to direct big, big things like Star Wars, a lot of people go to revisit their older filmographies. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are revisiting. I know a lot of people who um, hadn't seen Looper before The Last Jedi, but wanted to check that out just to see what the style was going to be like going forward so yeah absolutely yeah. And are we gonna, we're going to talk about the blade uh the the breaking bad episodes too <laughs> no we I, we usually just do film yeah 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 um, but you, you can direct. mention you mentioned the fly if you want oh it's my favorite episode of breaking yeah. bad ever i can't lie yeah. when i first saw the fly i'll mention it right we won't yeah. go into it but when i first saw that episode watching it like i was binging breaking bad because uh-huh. i was a little bit behind on it right i was freaking out I was freaking out. I was like, what's going on? This can't be the whole episode. And then commercial break comes, come back from commercial break. What? They're still looking for the fly. What is going on? Like, I remember free, like, it was yeah. literally like me free, having a freak out moment yeah. watching this episode, The Fly, yeah. where I was like, all right, all right, one more commercial break, then we're going to get to the third act, and it's going to be crazy. And then they're like, we're still looking for the fly. I'm like, no, it's impossible. <laughs> they can't still be doing this. What's going on? Like, I was freaking out, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that episode is insane and it's funny how like it's regarded as like one of the best ones it, it, it divides people a lot of people are because either, like, for me the best one or the worst i wanted to life. die <laughs> i was like what's happening this can't be the whole episode this well, is a joke right yeah. and then i kept watching and i was like no way they're yeah. still doing this I, I binge breaking bad too so when that when that when that when that happened did yeah. you freak out or well, what i was like i was like this is a really weird direction they're taking but i'm into it but like I can only imagine watching week by week. And oh yeah, like, I didn't watch. I watched it. Yeah. I binged it. So. Yeah, yeah, I binged it too. But if you're watching that week by week, and that's your episode. Oh for my the god! Week, yeah, I I, that, that's probably way more divisive. Yeah, yeah, that would have yeah. pissed me off a little more. Uh, but he did direct the second to the last episode. He did. Um, is it Ozzy Mandias? Yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy Mandias. Yeah, yeah that was a great one too. The only TV, only thing on IMDb that ever hold a ten out of ten. On there, that, on it's there a great platform. episode. It's yeah. one of my favorites, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, let's jump into Star Wars. If you guys have heard of it, the Star Last Jedi. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. Yeah, nothing but Star Wars, <laughs> making two hundred and twenty million dollars this weekend. Yeah. Jesus. Everyone and their moms and their cousins and their daughters and their sons saw this movie. It's crazy. I, I was talking to my mom about this, but. My entire office saw this movie Thursday night. Every single person. That's I've never had that experience because I saw Thor. I work in a I work at a t- TV network, right? Mm-hmm. So we keep up with films and movies in the industry. But the fact, it, but we love movies. But the fact that everyone saw this on the exact same day, which is Thursday night, mm-hmm. so that the entire office the next day can talk about it with spoilers, and you just have like this giant office of people mm-hmm. just screaming at the top of their lungs, giant spoilers, <laughs> and, and we're, we feel free yeah. because everyone saw it, so we're not afraid. But the mm-hmm. fact that Everyone from the editors to the producers to the presidents to like yeah. everyone saw this movie the exact same time. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, I've never, I've never experienced that, man. It's yeah. crazy how many people, whether you're 
you know, old, young, anyone saw this movie. Mm-hmm. It's crazy the, the, how much money this thing is garnering. And the fact that it's kind of split. Like, for the most part, people like it, but it's a lot more split than I thought it was going to be. And I remember texting you about the premiere reactions. Yeah. Because I was nervous. Because I, 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 I want my reactions to be very much like... It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Because if it's not, if people say it's perfect, that means it's good. Yeah, yeah. basically, in these days... If people, say, yeah. if people say it's good, that means it ain't good at all. Yeah, yeah. So, I want to hear your thoughts. Just general thoughts first. Just right. reaction coming out of The Last Jedi. Well, let me, let me, let me preface this. I said first, not playing. Let me, let me let me just preface this. You know, what I mean, I, I said before in this podcast, Bricks one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, Looper's one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. Going into this, and now the Last Jedi is one of your favorite movies. Of, no, I'm playing. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, man. This, I, 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 I only watched it once, so I gotta, I gotta. Sure. Still, I'm still absorbing it a little bit. Still gotta. There's a few things to get in on. This is spoiler heavy, by the way, people. So spoiler alert tag. Yeah. You know, it's gonna go and everything. Ultimately, though, I think there's more in this movie that I like than then I didn't like. But the things I didn't like almost makes me want to punch a wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there are some things in this movie that happens that I always think. I think I, there's a theory. I think that if you know, if you're like, especially for fan movies, like sure. movies that are made for fans, if there's one scene that throws you out of the movie, you're never going to be able to get back in, right? I think that's with Spider-Man 3 with the dancing in the in the, in the sidewalk. Which that's, I love, by the way. That's, that's, Iron Man, that's Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin. And to me, in this movie, it was when Princess Leia takes off and starts flying like Superman. <laughs> Oh, really? I'm like I, I couldn't, that happens early on. Too. I couldn't believe what I was watching, dog. Honestly, like I almost, I was almost like, what? You know, I don't know. To me, that was like you, you, you cross, you cross the kind of a line to me. You know what I mean? Really? Like, That's such. Um, a, it, it, I noticed that people were like, but overall, you're saying you, but over, overall, you I'm, didn't like this movie. I'm, overall, it's kind of a very big disappointment for me. Okay. Um, so, but as I. You know, I'm kind of softening the blow more and more. I think about it because there are a lot of elements in there that are like really genuinely great elements that are really um, that I really attached to a lot as a as a film goer and as somebody who loves Star Wars. I I think the different elements of this movie really helps the movie in terms of how much more complex it is than any other Star Wars movie. It's easily the most complex Star Wars movie you've ever seen, no doubt. And there's obviously a lot of big political themes that they're going off of here. A lot of big a lot of big things in general just about humanity and heroism and stuff like that. Spiritualism. I think they really touch really deep on and I think is great. Um but just some of the sillier elements in this movie just really kinda throw me out of whack. Um so I'm more disappointed than I am liking it. But again, I could watch this movie again and have a different reaction to it. And maybe I'm getting sure. over that. And we're 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 talking initial reactions because again, yeah. I've only seen it once too. And it's definitely and I mean definitely the type of movie that you have to see again. Yeah. Right? Because it is a lot to digest. I, I definitely agree with people saying that you should watch it a second time, even if you're not a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Because it is a lot to digest. But I feel like People give a little bit too much credit to watching it twice. I feel like initial reactions, first and foremost, should be what you take from a movie. You shouldn't have to watch a movie two times to get your true reaction to a movie. We saw Lady Bird once. Loved loved Lady Bird. I saw Get Out once. Loved Get Out. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of movies this year. Thor once. And Mm -hmm. I loved Thor. I saw a lot of movies this year that I saw once. And that's all I need to see for me to be like, thumbs up. And I'm not saying that 
this, this is definitely the type of movie that benefits from watching it a second time. I just don't think you need a second time to get your true idea of a movie. You, you, in the sense of they shouldn't rely on a second time to get a true reaction. Because I, I hear a lot of people saying, you have to watch it twice, otherwise you're not watching it. I'm like, mm, yeah. you got to watch it once. You probably should watch it twice. Yeah. You don't have to. But I'm definitely going to watch it again because, I again, you're right. It's a lot to digest. For me... There is more walking out. I was a little bit. I, I was on the side of like, mm, it's it's good. It, there is more good in this movie that I like than bad in this movie that I don't like. For me, it's always a balance scale. I have to measure all the scenes, all the moments that for me didn't work at all, and then measure it against all the moments and all the scenes that did work for me. And when I balance it out, it's more good than bad. Mm-hmm. I liked more this in this movie that I didn't like. However. It's barely there. Like there, it's almost half of this movie that I liked and half I didn't like, which isn't a good, you know, division between the two. It should be like you know eighty eighty percent. Kind of the same to me too. Like there's the the scene that you know the Princess Leia scene is the biggest standout, but there are a lot of like smaller elements, sure. story beats that really kind of throw the movie out of whack. So. Sure. For me, the the issue that it comes down to the most is the overall feel i have of the story progression of the movie where i feel like they're a little bit stagnant on that that's my biggest issue my my biggest gripe of the movie isn't the crazy ridiculous silly scenes that we got or the storylines that we got that were kind of crappy like finn's storyline but for me it's going into the movie coming out of the movie what i thought of the movie and when i tweeted out my reaction i realized that my reaction was essentially the same it was when it was the force awakens and it shouldn't be the case this is the second movie in a th- in a trilogy, it shouldn't be like what I said in my my tweet was. I'm excited to see what happens to Rey and Kylo Ren's pretty cool. That's essentially what I said in the Force Awakens too. That shouldn't be the case. I should know a lot more about the overall story in this movie versus being excited for the future. You know what I'm saying? Like right. when you saw the Force Awakens, you're like, I can't wait to see what happens to Rey. And then coming out of this movie, I'm like, I can't wait to see what happens to Rey because she mm-hmm. didn't really. Do I mean you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. for for a movie that promised so many things, as far as like what's going to happen to the Jedi Order, what's going to happen to the future of the Force, what's going to happen between the balance of the Force, what's going to happen between Luke and and, and and Kylo and all this stuff, we got this much of it. And I know I know people might argue against me on that point, but I really do feel like we got this much of it. Again, we're going to spoil things, but the two big big things that we got was. Supreme Leader Kylo Ren because Snoke is killed, sure, and then we got Ray's parents are no one. That's it. You know, that's I, it. That's I, all we got. Yeah, I'd I'd argue with you on the Kylo thing. I think we got a lot from him though. I think we no, got- no, no, no. Uh, Ky- Kylo to me, I, I I told I told a lot of friends. For me, he was a standout in this movie mm-hmm. because in the first movie. They set up Ray in a way that's like I can't wait to see where Ray goes, and they set up Kylo in a Ray in a Kylo in a way where you're like I don't know, but you're right. Kylo did get a lot in this movie. Mm. I just want to see more progression within that story instead of Finn and Rose, um, Poe fighting with Laura Dern, and I'm just like, oh, just give me back to Ray and Kylo, man. Like that to me was like my biggest complaint of the yeah. movie. Yeah, I think we got a clear picture of Kylo Ren as a character. Mm. Uh, and from what we've seen in The Force Awakens to what we see now, it makes a lot of sense how his character would end up in this place. And um, He's way better in this one, too. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. way better in this. Yeah. The Force Awakens, he's good, but in this one, I'm just like, he's, I'm on board. Well, he has a very powerful... I think, and that's the thing, too. All the performances in this movie were like really, really... Except for one standout bad performance. Which one? 
It's spoilers, so I got to say Rose, man. I don't know, man. That, to me... <laughs> really? <laughs> to me, that's kind of the worst Star Wars character. Like, no, performance, uh, though? Perform- I mean, I guess she was doing what she was given. She was but... doing what she was given, though. I mean, uh, her story sucked, but that yeah. doesn't mean she was a bad actress. Uh, I think the performance that we got was low-key shitty was the two performances that I think were like ridiculous and a a lot of people have i'm surprised how many people loved it and i'm like you you like that that was kind of whack uh general hux being like a freaking over the top cartoon character who doesn't look like he knows one plus one is equals two and yet he's like and i'm I'm like dude all those cheeks shaking like crazy man and turning bright bright red like tomato red and then benicio toro being this over-the-top quirky character and i'm like i don't need this man this whole storyline's already over the top i don't need an over-the-top character in an over-the-top storyline which is the rose and finn storyline which didn't yeah. work at all for me well for me i i think i think that storyline worked it was too long though it was sure. too long of a storyline um and it took up a lot of time in the movie that i think could have been more satisfying for ray and, and the luke story that being said, though, I really did love the political stuff they're saying in that. The whole 1% uh, being this over-dominant thing. They go into this casino town. And then even with Benicio de Toro showing them, like, oh, these are these are the people selling the weapons. They're selling sure. the good guys. And I love that. I yeah. love that they're going to that place. Because the only other time Star Wars really... I mean, Star Wars has always been kind of political, right? Even from its inception, 1977. It's very, like, anti-Nazi, all that kind of stuff. And they kind of re-update that with, like... Hux and 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 Kylo being like the neo Nazis of the of this universe, right? They really don't. They're really just following the legacy of the people that came before them. Um, so I think that's a really nice way of updating that. Um, but in terms of the political war aspects of it, we don't really see a lot of that unless it's in the prequels. But in the prequels, they're just standing and talking in semicircles about it. And but to me, in this movie, they handle it well by showing the actions that are implemented here, right? Like how. The warfare, especially with the resistance, how we're losing so much of the resistance just during this fight against the First Order. That is, is that really the cost? What's the cost and the effect of all this stuff? Who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? And I like the fact that they muddy the waters a little bit with that. Um, to me, the, I love that, but it stops working once you start talking about the Lord Dern character, right? To me, that almost made no sense uh, in the fact that. When she's there, when she when she when she's first introduced, it's like, okay, who is this person? We've never seen this person before. I almost feel like it feels like Admiral Agbar or something. It'll make a little more sense, but sure. this is just a person we've just also. Never... I mean, freaking R.I.P. Admiral Agbar. They did you dirty, bro. Know, they yeah. did him dirty. Oh, man. They didn't yeah. even show his death. They just said Admiral Agbar's dead too. Bro, yeah. who's gonna tell us when it's a trap though? Like for real. <laughs> no more trap music, dude. Yeah. Trap is dead. <laughs> dude, for real. They did him dirty in there. Yeah, they 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 did, man. RP, man. Damn. Um but anyways, go back to Yeah, that. no, but again, like the with with her storyline, it's kind it kind of almost would have made more sense if she just told Poe from the beginning what the plan was, right? Hundred like, percent. If 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 she just would have said it, like we would have honestly had... at that point I was ready to shoot her too. I was yeah. like I was cheering for Poe. I was like, Yeah, Poe, kill her. <laughs> because what she what she she kind of listen, if we're talking real world politics here, 
she kind of just represents the establishment, right? She's just like the the rich, like overpowered lady who was there, implemented by the government to run this this rogue resistance. Meanwhile, Poe is the one who's actually doing the physical work, and he has all the experience. Yeah, and yeah. and he's he's kind of silent. Again, I know he makes a lot of mistakes, and I, I like the movie that they they kind of show you his mistakes as a leader, and that he's resulting in in the deaths of all of these great heroes. Um, but that being said, he, she he, uh, she doesn't have the war knowledge, and she doesn't have the the actual fight of being there. She's just implemented by oh here's the government, sure, or here's the underground you know person that we elected. Sure, you know sure. what I mean, without consulting the rest of the crew. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. It makes me angry. It's yeah. like real life. Somebody follows politics. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you, so anyway, so that, that's why when, when Poe overthrows her, I'm like, yes, this is Yeah, me movie. too. This I was is, like, this yeah. What, this is what I'm going for. Um, but then Leia comes in and then shoots Poe. I was like, oh, okay. But then we get to understand the plan. It's like, okay, that does make a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, she's still wrong. <laughs> she's still wrong. Yeah. Uh, if we would have went Poe's plan, it would have worked. You know, and yeah. Poe's plan would have more support. Of course, that plan fails too with, with Finn and Rose, but it's like, I don't know, man. A lot of it, a lot of it was I like, yeah. Uh, I, I also feel like one good thing and one good little detail that I liked, and it's a tiny little moment, but the moment when Finn and Rose are, are pitching their plan to, to Poe. Yeah. And they're like, I got a plan. We're going to do this. He's like, all right, that's where we blow it up, right? And he's like, I like where your head is at, but no, we're not going to blow things <laughs> yeah. up. I kind of like that they made Poe a little bit more like yeah. a little too gung-ho, a little yeah. too like ready to shoot, a little too trigger happy, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. I kind of like that. I was like, that's kind of a cool little detail in his character that mm-hmm. you might think it's good you might think it's bad of, of him being like a little bit too much of a hot shot right he wanted to blow things up all the time mm-hmm. it's like that's where we blow it up right and it's like all right bro we don't have to blow everything up man right, right, right. <laughs> even though eventually they did blow it up. right <laughs> they followed poe's plan to blow things up mm-hmm. um because they were eventually like that's probably the best thing to do <laughs> yeah yeah turn this ship around and and kamikaze this thing bro yeah yeah um yeah. that's the def- sequence by the way when she oh that was so cool that, and that was so cool it's like all in silence and then you know like and the- my, my friends and i my friend my friend of mine who's a star wars fan was talking he's like why didn't he do that before that that's like the best plan you can do go to hyperspace and go kamikaze hyperspace yeah that's so freaking cool mm-hmm. but uh anyways yeah for me I, I'm with you. I feel like every side story for me, to be honest, didn't really work. Especially the Finn and the, not the Finn. Yeah, the Finn and Rose one didn't work. For me. I get what you're saying about Canto Bite and showing that. Canto Bite. I just feel like they they don't really know what to do with Finn's character that much. Like I feel like even that was a little bit more of Rose's story than it was Finn's story. Yeah, I think what you know what the and Force. I, oh, go sorry, ahead. Go I'm sorry. Ahead. Oh no, what I was gonna say is that the Force Awakens kind of. The way they establish these characters is like the the our our Luke is is Ray, our Han Solo is Finn, and our and no our Han Solo is Poe. No, nah, I kind of say I kind of okay. say I kind of say he's the Leia only sure. because like the way they set him up, he's the one who sends the secret message. Do you're right, you're right. To, sure. do, you know, so to me, he's kind of like the and he's also he's also the War General. So I, I kind of make the Leia comparison, but I mean he could be seen as the Finn too, but. Um, Finn's kind of um, he could be seen as the Han Solo but, Finn, but Finn's kind of wearing even like the Han Solo outfit gotcha with the, with the, with the jacket and the, the white shirt and everything um, but to me it's like if you were to send Han Solo if, if the Empire Strikes Back sent Han Solo on a mission with just a random woman character halfway through the movie I think I, I think most people would be pissed with that too right because all we know of Han Solo is just he's his own agency his own agenda he just kind of wants to get out and what Finn and as we established Finn in the beginning of this movie he doesn't want to be a part of this anymore he just wants to help Ray and, and, and get Ray back um, that's all he really cares about so dude um, yeah I, I feel like Finn is 
one of the weakest parts of this movie. Not not because of his character. I like Finn. I like yeah. I like his character. I like John Boyega's acting. I like pretty much everything about Finn. I just felt like they set him up to be something that could have potentially been something really cool. Like think about it. Ex stormtrooper um, went against the the first order. You know, doing his own thing, kind of thing. And I was like, all right, this is cool. I like mm-hmm. this character. And then what you, what you do with the Last Jedi is you essentially don't do anything with him and just give him the storyline that's kind of empty to be honest with right. with you um that's just my issue with finn at least with poe i was semi-interested in the poe storyline but with the finn storyline i was like dude come on give me back to ray and luke because yeah. this is not working or ray and kylo ray and kylo was great i love the freaking communication they were having oh yeah when the they're force. just yeah yeah that, that was, was cool i yeah. was like this is really cool i love i love seeing progression of the force mm-hmm. and i know a lot of people that's one of their biggest criticisms of this movie is the force mm-hmm. to me that's progression you can't keep telling us about this ancient mystical power and that show us how it can advance, right? Yeah. Be- besides floating rocks, floating ships, floating this, floating that, uh, force lightning. Now you got to step it up. You got to introduce us something different. And they did that with the communication calls and with the astral projection thing that Luke did. Astral projection was new. That me, was cool. Yeah, that was I thought cool. that was freaking cool. And when they showed that, I was like, that's new. And that's yeah. cool, and it's new. And it's something that you can say new fans of Star Wars can have that. Kids who are now watching The Last Jedi can mm-hmm. say astro projection mode or whatever when they're right. playing. And and old fans can accept it because it's a continuation it's of the same what, thing. What came before. Exactly. That's, that's exactly that's what I was so going good. For. Exactly what I was going for because when it's kind of like the Jedi mind trick but you're just kind of playing it on everybody essentially. It's a, uh, exactly. And, and of course that takes a lot of power and a force and that's why Luke ultimately you know he gives himself up and dies right 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 because he's used so much of his of his power um so that made a lot of sense and again like you're right it it introduces a new power of the force i mean every generation has their new kind of thing right with the from the lightning to the to the jedi run or the force run to now this Mm -hmm. uh it's just going back to the Leia thing, man. I don't know if that was a you force know what's funny. Thing it, it, it's everyone has an issue with that. It's a very split thing as far as I love that scene. At first, I was like, "This is weird," but then I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like, if if you really have a Skywalker, you think a Skywalker is going to die that easy? Hell no! Of course, the Force is going to be strong in her and protect her and take her back to the ship. Like that to me made sense because of." The fact that she is so powerful in the Force, and that I, I personally know that. I, I get that a lot of people might not know that. Well, they don't tell us that. They don't tell us that, yeah. but they did tell us that in the, in the Return of the Jedi, when we know that Leia has that power too. Yeah. And we know that she's strong in the Force. We don't so know. So when she's, she's out in space and floating, I was like, she can't die like this. This, I mean, she's got the Force, man. The Force will protect you. It'll take, it'll, I don't know. I liked it. I get how the crazy cheesiness of her flying, like, you know, freaking Jesus or Superman, Superman Jesus. Um, I get that was kind of cheesy, but but the concept of the Force protecting her in itself and not letting her die in space, I was cool with it. A lot of people are like, "That's impossible." I'm like, "The Force is freaking power." Well, that's why I don't I don't get that though. I mean, if 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 she is, did she bring herself back to life? Did the Force bring her back to life? Like, or did uh, Skywalker blood bra? Okay, but she, she Chlorians. <laughs> I think even this movie, like, it spelled the whole like, mathematic, uh, whatever. Well, uh, not real. I mean, Skywalker's still powerful in the Force, though. Yeah, but she was never trained in the Force. That's or- what I'm saying. That's how powerful she is in the Force. Yeah. That she's not even trained in the Force, and she can still do that. That's okay. how powerful she is. But then, 
she does that. She Ray fight. was never trained in the force in this movie either. Yeah, I mean, well, she, 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 she gets trained. In the we force got no it. training with Ray, not at all, dude. She has like her own like training montages. Not though, really. Like, like we, well, she's we, training on her own. She's training on her own, but on her own, she's not getting yeah. trained. Yeah, that's one. Two. We. I, I don't know. That pissed me off because we we jump from a movie where we're like, wow, why is this girl so powerful in the force? And then we jump to this, and then they're like, oh, because you know the force chose her. And I'm like, cool. Now can we get some progression on what that means? And we get none of it. We we just get like wait for the next movie, and I'm like, oh, we've got to wait for the next movie to find out what the per- like for me the, the Yoda stuff, right? Because when Yoda came in and was like, you know, hey, you know, screw the Jedi, let's do this, let's restart, let's push the restart button, let's do something different, Luke, um, you know, train Ray, mm-hmm. um, go help her out or whatever, and let's do something different. And I was like, all right, cool, tell me more. And then it just cuts and it you know keeps going to Finn and Rose and stuff. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> dude, I want to learn what's going to happen to the Jedi Order. I want to learn what's going to happen to the Force. And I feel like we get this much of it in this movie. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to know. Well, think, also, one it's... small little thing, and I'm interrupting you, but it's yeah. worth it. Shout out to JTE. I, dude, I thought of JTE when Yoda sat down and he's a force. And I'm like, hashtag Ghost is real, dude. Ghost is canon. It's real. And it's cool. So you can stop, JTE. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I, think, I, think that's, I think that scene was funny, especially considering how much the, like, the Star Wars canon people are, like, have, how big of the deal the, the, the Journal of the Wills thing has become mm-hmm. recently. I've never got it. Like, I've never understood what this whole shit was about. Sure. Um, but then like, they're just kind of like, oh fuck we're just blowing up you know what i mean like um so i thought that was nice you know especially for but i want to know what that means though like i I don't know i'm just as a casual fan like me i'm just like as a hyper fan i'm like what is the jedi order gonna do what it's gonna establish the force of the balance of the force i'm like all these thoughts are coming in my head yeah um let's talk about things that you that you did like like scenes or something what's your favorite scene well i I definitely there's a lot of great scenes in this movie again that's the thing like the whole opening thing where it was rose's sister and she had that the, was cool. she was on the bomb carrier, and it was like the it was like the effects of it was like the the whole slow motion of the thing falling, the suspense of that, brilliant. That was super cool, absolutely brilliant. From so for me, like when you're starting a movie like that, I'm like this is this is exactly what this is the combination of Ryan Johnson and Star Wars that I've been looking forward to. Sure. Um, so that was great. Um, I loved the moments where where Ray was where where Luke was. Um, educating ray on the force sure. and giving her when they had the whole montage of filling the force and it cuts to the the different wildlife on on the island and the and the uh and the water and the ocean it was doing that that montage again oh the right? montage yeah oh, yeah. Right, yeah again ryan johnson king of montage man brilliant brilliant stuff there like that that whole montage really gave me as a casual fan really gave me understanding what the force was the space sure. between spaces you know what i mean i, I finally got that um, I thought, and I, you know, again, I know a lot of people don't agree with the, the Ray and, and Rose stuff. It is, it is weak, it is a weaker elements of the film, but I just love the political aspects of it. I love the, the political aspects up until the ending with the, with the Laura Dern and post stuff. And, um, and all of, and, and, and even when we finally start and, you know, the communication between Ray and Kylo, like you alluded that to before, cool. when, when they would cut to like the match shots of them look like in the same frame, like in, just from the framing level of them looking at each other and like that little quick edit, like where it just flipped, like just that little bit it was beautiful. Um, so the way they handled that was really, really great. And I think 
is very consistent with the Star Wars feel, right? And when they finally meet up and they finally confront Snoke, um, that was really cool as well. Um, again, another like F you to like the, the big sweaties, right? Like they just kill <laughs> Snoke like that. Um, but again, I, this is, I don't know, this is kind of more of a pet peeve, I guess, about the criticism. A lot of people were saying this was unpredictable. I don't know, I kind of saw a lot of the stuff that was happening sure. coming, um, except for the flying Leia. Um, but everything else, but I felt it coming because it felt natural, sure. right? I could see when Kylo was put in that position why he would make the decision to kill Snoke. Sure. Um, because Snoke just dehumanized, de- demanded him, right? Like, he he was like... Degraded him. Degraded him, exactly. Right, right, right. He he, he, he tells him, like, he was the one who sets up the, c- the connection um, from Ray and Kylo. He's the one who starts start setting that all up. I love I love that aspect of it. And I sure. love that that ultimately is what what Kylo decides to you know choose, make that decision. And that's almost, you almost think, oh, is he going to go to the dark side or the light side? But again, his decision makes sense of where, no, he, he doesn't want to go light. He just wants to be his own man. He wants to be his own authority figure. Um, so that was great. That was great. And then that whole scene where they're fighting the, the red ninjas, dude, that was <laughs> awesome. Uh, so again, a lot of great stuff in this movie. Um, ultimately, the ending kind of felt weird and weak sure. to me. Um, especially when it was finally again, this is this is Finn. It's more of a negative, but when Finn was finally going to like ram his like oh, sacrifice gotcha, gotcha, himself, yeah. I was like, "This is great! Finally, we're getting a great moment with Finn. He's getting his moment." And then Rose takes it away from him. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but, uh, but but that moment leading up to that I was like, "Yes, finally, yes." Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I also just I like the whole idea of the resistance being this sparse now. Like they've literally lost everybody. Sure, the whole resistance could fit on the Millennium Falcon basically sure. now, right? Like that is that's crazy <laughs> to me how this this little fight. But how is that going to matriculate into the next thing? Sure. Um. So there again, a lot of positive aspects of this movie, and, and like I said, it's probably more that I liked than that I didn't like. Um. But what were some of the moments for you that you named a lot of it? A yeah. lot. The the. the uh, I almost called him Rilo. <laughs> Kylo Kylo Ren killing Snoke was mm. bad ass. I, yeah. I, everything you felt was exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. I, fe- I felt like it was a big f you to Snoke. It was a big like it was Kylo uh, tricking Snoke. Basically, mm-hmm. he tricked right. him. Right. He showed him that it's crazy how as powerful as Snoke was in the Force. Mm-hmm. Kylo was kind of stronger in the Force in that moment because I felt like there was a. He almost Jedi mind tricked Snoke mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. thinking I'm on your side, and he's like, "Kylo would never betray me. Mm-hmm. Kylo's my homie. Kylo's my he's my little bitch, bro. I mean, he's yeah. he's never gonna be." And, and he kind of Jedi mind tricked Snoke into thinking that, mm-hmm. and then so when he cut him, he just did not see it coming at all, mm-hmm. like at all, because it's almost Kylo pulling the rug over his eyes. Right. I thought that was so cool, and the fact that. When they were fighting back and forth, and then eventually when when uh when they were done and they killed everyone, and then Ray was like, "Let's go help my friends." Kylo was like, "You for real? No, yeah. bro, I'm not good. Yeah. I just wanted to kill Snoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're thinking, but mm-hmm. my plan was to kill Snoke, and now I'm the supreme leader. I'm the boss. Mm-hmm. Why don't we? You know what's crazy? The scene when he when he goes to Ray, and he says after that, and Ray's like, "Let's help my friends," and and Kylo's like, "Dude." Forget the past. Like, screw the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Screw the Sith. Screw the Resistance. Screw the screw everything. Let's just do our own thing. Let's start new. 
like just come on let's just do our own thing i can't lie i was a hundred percent that speech got me mm-hmm. i was like come on ray join with Ky-. like yeah. i wanted her to like me join too. me too me, yeah. it wouldn't that be cool mm-hmm. like just do not no no sith no no yeah. don't dark side light sides just screw all of it we yeah. just do our own thing in the force mm-hmm. like not worry about rules and jedi order and sith rules and the sith order I wanted her to be like, yeah, bro, let's do it. <laughs> Just yeah. do the freaking, like, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. And then just do that. <laughs> and flex their force muscles. <laughs> like, that's what I wanted. They just grow, like, blue muscles <laughs> right, as they're shaking hands. Like. But, but for real, that got me. When he said yeah. that, I was like, damn, he's right. Like, mm-hmm. forget all these old people making all these rules. I felt like it was a big F you to old people, too. Like, I'm not necessarily, like, screw. But yeah. for me, it was like all these old people with these old like it's time it's time for yeah. the youth to take over it's mm-hmm. time for young people to have their place like mm-hmm. when he said when he basically did that that's what i felt and i thought it was very purposeful making snoke look like he's super old too oh, yeah the crap making head. him look all old yeah. and the it's like i've been here for years and it's like dude screw you screw old people like it's time for the youth to rise up and take their own stand yeah like that's what i felt like kylo was saying in that moment and i loved it i was like that's so cool and well, it even, makes so much even sense. the last shot in the movie alludes to that theme going further right with the new set of young jedi that we see um at the end of the thing so. and the fact that kylo is supreme leader now such yeah. a young brash supreme leader yeah um, um so i definitely I, want to go into comments yeah yeah, um, yeah. Any, any anything else you want to say before we jump in um yeah i mean again i i, I really want to see this movie again i need to engage it a little more get see if there's maybe some of the things that I didn't like. Maybe just uh, I could just wash over. There, there's that's kind of what I had to do. I mean, there's a lot I didn't like. a lot. Like pretty much everything with Rose and Finn, I just didn't like. Do you like? Do you like Rose's? Because I don't like her as a character. Like I think she's a terribly written. I think her character was just there to give Finn a partner. Right, or just to you know, and I think she was also like the the audience eye to sure. this one too. But I also feel like yeah. it was just like. As, as bad as this sounds, I feel like they were like, you know, everyone's talking about R- Ray and, and Finn. We gotta let's give let's give Finn a love love interest. Yeah, let's, let's give him a love interest. Unless, and they were unless, just like, unless hook Ray and Poe up to. Man, it's like, come on, man. We can. I want. To, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is just what, me. You want it's, Kylo and Ray to do? No, that? I, I wanted. I wanted Finn and Ray. You know, like. Oh, you know, gotcha. two but but, the, but but that's what they were. I kind of felt like that's what they're doing. They're like, yeah. everyone keeps talking about Finn and Ray. Yeah, yeah we can't have that. Let's yeah. put Rose in there. Diversity, <laughs> you're interracial. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's put Rose. <laughs> yeah. Let's give her an Asian homie. This dude. is why we're not invited to start. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that guys we're not invited because of us um, no I, I definitely felt like she was just a love interest that they wanted to give right, this character right, right. Um, let's jump over to comments um, Xavier says uh, I felt like almost all the hero- humor was added in post I felt like Disney was like hey that seems too dark it's gonna scar children's add BBA doing some funny stuff or that pork I don't care I'm with you, Brian. A lot of it felt weird to me. Brian. Yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Is that Beardo, Is that Beardo, Beardo in there? Beardo up in our, uh, oh, no. <laughs> in our Twitter mentions. Yeah, Brian, Brian had asked, uh, did we like the humor in The Last Jedi? Um, that was his initial question. Um, so, we, we, no. Yeah. If, for the mo- if someone says, did you like the humor? No. Yeah. There was some humor parts. In it. I liked the Luke humor. I thought the Luke humor worked. He was worked. good. And it, when him throwing the, yeah, the, the like, big climactic moment of the last movie, he's like, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. Anything with Hux, anything with Rose, anything with Benicio oh, with Hux especially was it was oh, terrible. No, not Hux. It was terrible. Yeah, with Hux, uh, when when he was done the the Imam joke, I was like, oh man, what what is this? Is this Star Wars? 
Yeah. Have we seen really a, a your mom joke in, in the Star Wars movie? Which one was in your mom joke? When uh, when when Poe is like fucking with him on the uh, on the phone, like he's like uh, uh, oh, like in the very beginning. The ver- oh, dude, yeah, come yeah. on, that was no. I mean, uh, Schmo's Beardo asks us. Brian yeah. asks us, um, "Did we like the humor?" To, basically, to answer his question, no. We, I, yeah. I didn't like the I humor like at either. all. I felt like that was one of the worst parts of the movie. Yeah. Um, Max says, "Who was the green ghost guy?" Uh, I don't know. I don't know who that was. Could have been like an old Jedi or something. Yeah, might have played an important part. By the way, I gotta say, I saw some my my homies. I saw it a little late, and I saw it Friday night because I just go with my homies from from like high school, and um, they they're they're not like big Star Wars. They're not big movie fans. They just see movies with me just because. Uh, but they're like, oh, oh man, Yoda's a puppet again. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know about this. What are you talking about? The Yoda puppet was probably the coolest thing. Like they did it good. The yeah. fir- uh, everyone keeps saying this, but it's so true. The first time you saw it was kind of weird. I yeah. was like, whoa, this is weird. Yeah. Second time, and it kept. I was like, this is yeah. cool. This is great. Cool. Right it was yeah. really, really well done. Uh, Danielle says one. Ryan Johnson looks a lot like my English professor from this past quarter. <laughs> Cool. Oh, nice. Uh, two, the epic scene with Laura Dern reminded me of Independence Day. Yeah, I mean, it could have been Independence Day with uh, freaking Finn ramming into the... I thought it would have been like a cool exactly. Independence Day kind of exactly. moment. Exactly. I would have loved if he actually sacrificed himself. Because when he was doing it, he was like, I'm going in, I'm going to... I was like, that's cool. Because mm-hmm. now... Everyone's gonna remember Finn as like the badass hero, mm-hmm. but now mm-hmm. Finn is gonna be like, "What are we gonna do with Finn in part three? I don't know." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would have liked Finn to sacrifice Me too. himself. That's what I was looking forward to. I was like, finally, my man gets the moment, but he didn't. I have one from Jose Miguel who says, "Do you think it's possible if the Jedi can become Force Ghost when they die? Is it possible Sith can do the same and we see Snoke return?" Just wondering because it was defeated way too easy for me. Um, yes and no. Um, when it comes to Sith, yes, we've seen that on um, Clone Wars, and we've seen that um, in other Darth lore. Maul coming back. You um, think you could get the... Well, Darth Maul's different because he actually came back. He didn't come back as a ghost. But to answer your question, mm. Snoke is done. I guarantee they're done with Snoke. Mm. Snoke was literally just a throwaway character to have a big, creepy-looking bad guy and to be the red herring, basically, right. of the Star Wars universe. I don't think Snoke is like, is Snoke going to come back and be a major character? No. No way. Do you think right. it's no, Snoke? No, I don't think so. No. I think Snoke was literally just there to represent evil. Yeah. And to just show us that, like, hey, look at this evil guy. Mm-hmm. Um, David Rowe says, do you think this movie will continue to be divisive over the years, or will everyone come to love it like Empire? Um, I think it will be continue to be divisive for this for this period, I think, for, for the next coming months. I think eventually when people see it a few more times, it's going to come to a consensus. It's kind of like The Force Awakens. Because when The Force Awakens came out, everyone's like, it's amazing. And then eventually they were like, well, it's got, it's okay. It's fine. But, but I think this movie, eventually people will kind of calm down on either side. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different types of reactions to it, especially when you look at, by the way, there are some people in our kind of internet YouTube movie circle who are like, "Oh, don't don't trust the Rotten Tomato scores, the IMDb scores." It's fucking it's bullshit, man. To me, to me, it's like, what do you mean? You know, of course, of course. I, to me, it's like, why are you trying to discredit the uh, the the accounts of the fans who just disagree with your opinion? Frankly, you know what I mean? Sure. There's the whole argument of, "Oh, you don't know how much of the how many people actually saw it, didn't see it." That's true. Maybe twenty twenty five percent people didn't watch it. It might affect the score in that respect, but sh- but still, that doesn't uh, 
you know, to me, it's like you're you're discrediting what the fans are saying about a movie just because you don't agree with it, and you're going to use Cinema Score as your like counter argument. That, by the way, if you look at Cinema Score, I, I think want, you're specifically referencing. I don't, I'm not. I'm not. I don't want specifically reference on. one person, but there, on, there's, there's, put them on blast. I'm not going to say names, but you know, if there's, you know, for me, look at look at the statistics for Cinema Score. Right, Cinema Score only collects 400 cards, 400 audience cards per movie, typically. Right. Let's say for a big movie like Star Wars: The Last Jedi, it's really a, you know, they they let's double it for for argument's sake, a thousand. Right. And five random cities. Let's just say for argument's sake, it's ten random cities. Right. A uh, thousand people. Collected data gave the movie an A. Okay, then we, uh, you know, you look at a movie like The Last Jedi making two hundred twenty million dollars per uh, opening weekend. Let's say average ticket price is twenty dollars, which is not. Um, you take that's a hundred. You know, that's that's basically uh, eleven million people have seen this movie this weekend. Eleven million people. One thousand people sample size. 0.01% of the audience is represented in cinema score. You can't use that as an example, right? If, if Even if the system is flawed, if you're looking at Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, it's still a better system than measuring reaction from cinema score, um, no matter how inaccurate. If, if, you, know, you know what I'm saying? If, if a scientist uses a sample size of 0.01% on, like, I don't know, like medicine or like climate change, it, immediately, uh, people are going to knock that down. You know what I mean? But I don't know. No, I'm so, with you. I get what you're um, saying. But that, that, that's for me, me well. for me, I feel like a lot of it. I think people have to keep in mind general audiences because I feel like people are forgetting that because a lot of the hate that it's getting, it's coming from passionate people. Like, I, 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 I disagree, man. I really? I saw it. I saw it with the most general audience. I saw it in like. Because a lot of my friends who've seen it who don't give a crap about Star Wars were like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, like, or they, even my friends... They're not saying it's the best thing ever, but they're not like, oh my god, how could they do that to blah, blah, blah. They don't care. They're just like, oh, there's a lightsaber fight? Cool. Kylo Ren's cool. Cool. Yeah, but I don't know, man. That, when, that to me you, is like... When I watched that movie, again, I saw Force Awakens. I, we don't get press screenings, so no. we see it with, with regular people. Yeah. When I saw Force Awakens, when I saw... We saw Rogue One. People were buzzing about it afterwards, mm-hmm. frankly. I saw this movie, man. I'm telling you, it was dead silent. In front of like the most general crowd, my crowd went nuts, dude. Uh, yeah, again, it's, it's it's I mean it's it's divisive. It's definitely divisive, but I don't know. To me, is 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 one of those things. I don't know. So um, to me, it's like it is split, and I think uh, there's this conversation debate is going to keep going on for sure. a while. Same way, like Matt I, I think it's absolutely recently, necessary though to show you what didn't work in order for there to be changes. I feel like. I was thinking about it this morning. Why does there have to be silliness? I, I don't get this. I get humor. I just don't get silly. Like, they have mm-hmm. to know certain things are silly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a difference between funny and silly. And I feel like Star Wars is so obsessed with making silly things in order to cater toward five-year-olds. Yeah. Like, oh, we have to make a silly moment because five-year-olds are going to love it. And it's like, why can't you just make a funny moment that mm-hmm. everyone can like instead of silly moments that, like, ha ah, ha little kids will love it and it's like that i don't know that bugs me alex hermes says i'm 20 years old so i don't have that nostalgic connection to the original trilogy and the prequels are the prequels but i might i'm finding myself loving star wars through this new trilogy i feel like this i feel like this is my star wars star wars do you guys feel the same way since you are both young lads um alex to answer your question i'm 26 so i grew up with the prequels um the prequels is my generation i was eight years old opening night 
midnight screening for the Phantom Menace coming out, and I was like hype, hype, hype. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was the prequels. That is my that is my generation. So I'm I'm because I was eight when that came out. So that was my childhood, my generation. Darth Maul, Anakin, Obi Wan. Those are my kind of things. Even though I initially I watched the originals first, and I was obsessed with the originals first because mm-hmm. they did the re-release to VHS, right? right. Um, which was in 96, 97? 97. Yeah. 97. So in ninety seven is when I really got into Star Wars, and that's kind of what my generation was. And then the prequels came out, and I was just like, this is my my, yeah. my jam. Well, for me, the prequels were out when I was a kid, but I didn't really know enough about Star Wars. But for me, my introduction to Star Wars is actually like the the games really like honestly the force unleashed force unleashed to battlefront that was how i knew star wars i didn't even see the fucking movies and then when i saw my first actual movie experience with star wars was uh the phantom menace when they did the 3d you remember when they did the 3d re-release yeah that was my first introduction to that um so when your first introduction is the phantom menace you're just like i don't know but i eventually first introduction was the phantom menace and i was like Hell yeah! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I was eight years yeah. old. Well, eight, yeah, see, I was like, I was like fifteen, so I'm like, this is kind of stupid. But then, like, going back and watching the original trilogy, and by the way, I like to return the Jedi a lot more than I think a lot of people. Like, that's my goat, man. Yeah. Return the Jedi is my favorite. Remember, yeah. we were talking to GTE about it, yeah. and he fights me till the end because yeah. he hates Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he even puts the prequels in front of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Return of the Jedi is the best one, dude. Yeah. It's great, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not the best one. To it's me. The best one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say Empire is the best one, but right. it's definitely like it has some great iconic it moments. It does, though. man. It yeah. has. I, I still think it has like some of the probably the best third act that I've seen. Like, yeah, it just has oh, really intense moments that you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, Kayla B says, "I heard in the novelization of the Force Awakens, Poe meets Ray for the first time, right? And in the Last Jedi, they seemingly meet for the first time. If the novelizations are canon, this is a glaring issue. Do you think more?" Uh, do you think more book and movie inconsistencies are in the future? If that's the, I, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awful. I knew that, and it, it was even in the original script that whole like how the movie ended with Poe and and Ray talking like, "Hey, nice to meet you." Da, da, da. That was in the original Force Awakens script, and then when I when I cut that when they cut that out, I was like, "Great," because. Finn gets the love interest. Um, but you're, then, you're, you're pro uh, Finn and I'm Ray. I'm pro Finn, man. Finn, pro Finn and Ray. Ray, man. I love what, it. What would, they, what would their name be? Finn, uh, Finn Ray? Faye? 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 No, not Faye. That's, that's, not, that's not a good name. Uh, Ren? No, Kylo Ren. That wouldn't yeah. work. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, yeah, I was like, good. This is good. Get the fucking Poe Dameron. You know, why is this guy neither? <laughs> you know? Uh, but but then, I, I didn't know uh, that... Uh, I don't know, man. I, that kind of takes me back because I, I, that's a big issue if that's the case because they have to keep canon canon. I mean, I'm, I'm a – when it comes to canon, you, if you're saying it's canon, it's canon, dude. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like that. It, that's a big issue if that's yeah. the case. I, I haven't – you know, that's honestly when I first started like the whole – when they first started the new canon, I was like, cool, I'm going to keep up. I'm going to actually have the information now. You know what I mean? Because all the other stuff is just like there's too much. You know, uh, it's too much material, too much in Legends. Uh, but dude, it just becomes so overwhelming. Like the books, the comics, the games. You know, I haven't even got Battlefront two yet. Honestly, um, I think a lot of it has to do with disappointment in the new stuff. Like I was so disappointed by Bur- first Battlefront. I don't remember which book in particular was one of the first ones uh, that they came out with, but one of the first books was like, "Oh, this is bad." And I just can like from that point, I was like, sure. oh, this canon is not not really worth keeping up with." But apparently, it's gotten really good. Yeah, really I know. I know Christian keeps up with it. Perry keeps up. Ken keeps up. Yeah, it's also frustrating too because 
you have like at this point you kind of have to know the canon to get sure. what's happening especially in something like Rogue One you kind of have to know these characters before the only canon I keep up with is probably the animated shows which that's the only mm. thing I oh like. Rebels yeah I do mm-hmm. I do I do check in on Rebels yeah um, Joe says um, what were some unfair criticisms you heard about The Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson's direction when it comes to unfair it, one criticism I have heard was about the force and like how can you do that the force the blah 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 the force has to stay the same I think that's an unfair criticism because I, like I just told you the force has to progress you can't keep doing the same thing over and over there's always a new introduction when it comes to power yeah, and I and I think you you hit it on the nail because I think when if you look at something like Return of the Jedi before Return of the Jedi you never see the Force lightning you know mm. that was the first time you see the Force exactly. lightning um, so when people see that were they freaked out <laughs> the same way we were freaked out by like the the Force projections now I didn't necessarily like the Force projection thing uh, well I, I like the I like the concept of it I just didn't like how they tried to fake you out like oh is 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 Luke dead did he just kill Luke like no that's not what happened by the way. I didn't mention this in initially saying this, but there are a very there are very few traditions that Star Wars keeps that have been kept throughout most of these franchises, particularly you know minimal use of slow motion, no flashbacks, no shaky cam, all that stuff. But in this movie, they kind of break every single rule. I like that <laughs> they, they do. They, yeah, I love they, that they, they do. use slow motion a lot. Montage isn't isn't a Star Wars thing. They use montage, flashback, flashback, visions. Yeah, visions exactly. They go through all of that, and I think I love it. I like the fact that's a distinctly Ryan Johnson movie um, in the Star Wars universe. And I think again, I don't know if that the the young kids are establishing his new trilogy that's supposed to come in. Um, but I, I'm excited. And even though I didn't love The Last Jedi, I really can't wait to see his new trilogy because the fact that he's coming up with these new ideas, all new creatures. I mean, we've never seen any of these creatures before from the, the, the crystal wolves. The giant, uh, the giant titty monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, was a little, that was a little strange. Yeah. When he was milking, I'm like, oh, what am I watching? <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, I we, know. we got two, we got two sets of giant titties in this movies, that creature and Kylo Ren. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a comment that, that talked about that scene, and and I can't lie. I think it was a comment on, on Jen, Jenny Nicholson's Twitter when she was talking about how cool Kylo Ren was, yeah. and someone commented and said, yeah, but them big old titties, though. <laughs> I lost it, dude, because I was like, that's so true. He does have like the biggest freaking... <laughs> Even Ray was like, yo! Like, you put a shirt on? Put a shirt on, man. It's that, a Star Wars. See, that's the kind of humor I like, though. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're using that humor, that's funny to me. All right, um, Anthony... Kotsios says, sorry if I messed up your name, says, what I loved about The Last Jedi was it created new lore. I hated the Rose and Finn storyline, but the rest of the movie was incredible. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked a lot about how it created new things and established new things, but I, that's, I wanted more of that. I wanted more of what is going to happen with the Jedi, what's going to happen with the lore, what's going to happen with the Force. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, coming out of The Force Awakens, I said, I can't wait to find out more about Rey and where that's going to go. Coming mm. out of The Last Jedi, I say the exact same thing. I can't wait to find out about right. And it's like, that shouldn't be the case. We should have got more progression when it comes to the Force and the Lord. More of Yoda and Luke talking. More of that, for me, would have been satisfying. Because that, to me, is like, you have to move the story forward yeah. more than what you did. Yeah. Um, again, I, I liked most of the rest of the movie. Um, we talked about some of the moments we didn't like. Again, it's probably like the layout thing. That's my biggest complaint. And and I don't think it's not a complaint against the force. Like if they would have explained it, I think it w- I would have been a little more okay with it. I think just the fact that it was like the Deus Ex Machina, you know, like you know, like it just came out of nowhere. It's like the 
the T-Rex in every Jurassic Park movie is like, where did that come from? You Teleports, know what I mean? man. Yeah. Oh, teleportation. <laughs> teleportation. Yeah. yeah, so it was like, that was to Oh, me, you, like, you watch uh, Double Toasted, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, where that's you got it. Yeah. It's like, you can hear this thing from a mile away, but at some moments, the thing just teleports. Yeah. You're like, yo, where'd it come from? Uh, yeah, I got so, you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of my bigger problem with the Leia thing, but everything else in that movie, man, was was pretty 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 good. Yeah. Pretty um, we'll finish up with this question. Yeah. Um, Delisha Russell says, what questions do you have coming out of The Last Jedi? Questions? Um, well, I just want to see how long they're going to carry this saga on for. Is this going to be a trilogy like the rest of the movies? Or is this going to continue on into another six movies? Or, no, I, I think this is it, dude. Well, I think they made it clear that Ryan Johnson's new one is going to be completely separate from this one. Yeah, but, I mean, are they doing... Is episode 10, 11, and 12 going to be uh, still about these characters? Or is it going to be... Uh, I mean, I don't know. You know? No, it's not. It's it's going to be Ryan Johnson making nothing to do with his story. Well, is he doing is he doing episode 10, 11, and 12? Or is he just doing a, a completely spin-off? A completely separate spin-off. Yeah, yeah. It's a new trilogy. Yeah, a well, new story. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about the... the uh, about like Ray and Kylo, if because that's a lot of story to wrap up in one movie. You know what I mean? So that's I exactly know. what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I that's so much. Sto- you can't you can't set up in the Force Awakens and then set up again in in the Last Jedi. That's my biggest complaint of this movie is the fact that it felt like they were setting up again. And I'm like, we got that in the first movie. We're still winding up in this one. You have so much between Ray and Kylo, so much unanswered things. The only answer you got is that. Ray's parents are no one, and Kylo Ren killed Snoke. And I think that's another problem with the movie I have, the fact that they kept harping on the parents thing. To me, it didn't. It, 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 that question didn't matter in The Force Awakens. Sure. And it, it never really mattered to me, because I just always assumed, like, she's either the daughter of, of somebody or a granddaughter or she's nobody you know yeah um, but the fact but that they, that's all that a lot. that's all we got we didn't get anything about her powers anything about why she was chosen in the force anything about what that means for the force going forward what that means for the jedi order going forward what that means for kylo ren going forward like what is it that we're trying to like you said it's so much story to wrap up in one final film it's too much to wrap up they should have done that more in this one i mean she started her training and then she immediately left when kylo ren was calling to her yeah i think i think i think that's the, it that's all we got from rain this movie yeah i think this movie and i think this is more of a pace, pacing problem i think they spent so much time with the resistance and the pole and the rose that ray was just gone for a super long time 100 like, percent. i i almost forgot that like ray and, and luke were in this movie <laughs> at, at a certain point right and, and it uh, feels like they should have spent way more time with them and giving us more from them because they basically didn't give us anything they just said we everything they told us we knew from the force awakens it's like oh yeah my temple was burned down i know oh yeah it was kylo ren who did it we know he took some of our students i know that i know all of that from the force awakens they just repeated things that we didn't know i mean that we did know the only thing we didn't know was that luke tried to kill kylo that's it mm-hmm. and then that luke, kylo kills snoke that's it yeah. but everything they they told us between ray and luke was like oh i'm i'm depressed in the jedi order sure Oh, I'm, you know, closed off from the force. Sure, like all things that they we could have gotten from the trailer. Like they yeah. didn't tell us anything new in this story that progressed the overall story going yeah. forward. We talked a lot about uh, and early in this podcast with Ryan Johnson's theme of self obsession and how that drives his characters. And 
I think that that is something that was really fascinating and seeing where Luke ended up being and where, you know, he's kind of in self, self, he's self obsessed with his past, with his failures. And uh, ultimately, I think the whole arc of learning to accept your failures uh, was was powerful and, and something that fit universally throughout each storyline, which is cool. Um, that being said, though, for a movie for Star Wars movie in particular, that is so so that the franchise that's so obsessed with giving the clean cut answers and all that stuff, it is a little off putting to the fans who are familiar with the way this franchise goes to have that. And again, that's not a positive or a negative. That's more of just an observation. Sure. Um, to me, I like the idea that they're going more complex with it. I just wish they would have spent more time with it. You sure. know what I mean? Had a little more. Have a few more moments where we really got to, and I think you feel that through the Luke storyline too. I think especially with the performance that Mark Hamill gives. Um, but I just feel like that we really could have, we really could have had something special if they had a little more time with Ray and her in her journey. Because to me, she almost didn't have much of a journey. So, like you said, hundred so. percent agree. Hundred yeah. percent agree with everything you said. Because for me, they focused on that more, more Luke, more Ray, more Yoda, more Jedi Force stuff. That's the far more interesting stuff, and that's the stuff that people cared about anyway. So, yeah. Um, all right, we got to close up because we've been at it for a long time. Oh, yeah. the, the Star Wars section is probably longer than yeah, uh, yeah. rest we'll, of the We'll podcast. be sure to put a time code in there. Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, guys, that was our episode on Ryan Johnson for the Meaning Enough podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure you leave comments. Let us know what you guys thought of the Force Awakens. I'm sorry, the Last Jedi. Let us know what you guys think of Ryan Johnson and his films. What's your favorite Ryan Johnson film? Let us know down below, and we'll. Probably Probably be reading that in the next episode that we have for you guys. Happy birthday, Ryan Johnson. Happy birthday, way. Ryan Johnson. When, when we're shooting this, I don't know when it airs, it'll be a couple days after, but when we're shooting this, happy birthday, brother. Um, and One also, congrats on $220 million opening Ooh, weekend. Wee, that's, that's a good that's birthday. That's a lot present. of money. That's yeah. a lot. Anyways, guys, make sure you guys leave us that comment. Make sure you like. Make sure you watch and share because we need the help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, guys, I'm Ace. This is RB3. And that is a Meeting of Podcast. Peace out.